Fuckers in this. There's a picture of some goofy looking people. Scan down. Is that no scan down? Oh, okay. It'll be a you shooting your. Uh, oh your yeah, crank. there you go. Yeah, All right. isn't that cool? Yeah, those those little fuckers are flamethrowers, man. I tell you what. <laughs> those six inch barreled AKs. Even even with the barking spider on it, it's still. There's a lot of powder burning. That's yeah, blowing it out there. It burned somebody's face. Well, I had a this funny thing when I was when I was shooting that I had a just a mix match can of ammo, you know how I have, yeah. yeah, and they just stuff ammo, and so it'd be like, bam, bam, like nothing, nothing, flame, nothing, nothing, flame, 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 nothing, nothing. As it gets hotter, and, you should get the flames. Well, well, no, I, I, I you know, I'm sure like there was gray K stuff in there and green K stuff in there, and there was oh, you just had a bunch of mix. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tula and, and Century and, you know, whatever. So, it's a, yeah. a multi flavor Pez dispenser. I think we should just. Uh, everyone, everyone's all jacked about that freaking. All right, we can do that. We'll talk about the, that AK pistol. Everyone's all jacked about that. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good, that's a good uh, lead in here for the. There we go. For season three of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Welcome back to another season, Leadheads. We've got a lot of knowledge that we're going to be dropping on you this season. We've got a lot of giveaways we're going to be giving out, and uh, we're kicking it off. I thought, what better way to kick it off than with Professor Paul Markle, student of the gun. I don't think you've been on any of our AK Corners series yet, have you? Uh, were you in season no, one? I don't think I have. Yeah, I, I, you know. Last the last time we tried, there was like some kind of weird like uh, glitch in the matrix, and yeah. so yeah. So, so here we are. Here, here we are. We we finally got the professor, the pimp hand himself, Paul Markle, joining us on uh, the AK corner, and also joining us, we've got my consummate co-host Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Brian, welcome in. <laughs> Happy to be talking about something not stupid, and uh, <laughs> very happy to be here. Well, we're glad that you yeah. made it. I know that you're you're busy keeping up with the demand there with the uh, ODS seventy seventy five, and you've also got the uh, Occam Lube that you guys are, are trying to keep up with demand on that too. Yeah, our uh, mutual friend Buell Collins, uh, Ginger Magic seventeen seventy five on the gram. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> um, is uh, is heading up Occam Lube as its own separate outfit now, which is awesome. For those and, who don't uh, know him, he's redheaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buell's red. He's a he's a ginger. He, yeah, he has whiter, no soul. Whiter and pepper, or than paper, rather for sure. So uh, yeah, he's doing that, and we were cranking out a couple new products. We released a new brace recently, um, or a brace strut, and. Um, those are up on our website now, and we have a new product dropping probably next episode. They're out at Anodizing now, so uh, stay tuned on that one. But some really I'm fun. I'm excited about there. that one. Yeah. 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 I got, yeah, I, yeah. I got a bone to pick with you, Brian. What's that, sir? Why did I have to look at social media? <laughs> 
right. know that you were doing this new brace strut? Why didn't you tell me before? I uh, well, I thought yeah, we were friends. I owe you an apology on that. You were correct, and uh, we need to get one in your hot little hands. Um, they're pretty fun. Well, <laughs> it it ran really well in Phoenix for a few days. Don't make it worse, Jared. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so, wow. So it's way old news. So you're like, yeah. I, I we're the last to know, Paul. Second hand on, on some freaking socialist <laughs> media platform. Well, you know, it's it's better than that because you actually have a 1775 in your hands, and uh, our mutual uh, friend James Yeager has been waiting the longest of anybody to get one. I still don't have one in his hands, so uh, what? What? I'm on the naughty list in a big way. But we're yeah, actually well, he's got a whole safe full of AKs. He's fine. We we painted his today, so uh, yeah, it'll it'll. Did be you do some out. sort of a, a Jaeger paint job on it, or did you do your standard Tiger Stripe? You know, he wanted simple. He is a Musashi devotee, and in his mind, weapons should be hardy and not decorative. And I I upsold him on all kinds of crazy shit we could do, and he was like, "No, I want an AK." Okay. If you want to make it fancy and green, and so I was like, "Okay, <laughs> green." <laughs> Green. There you as go. Fancy as he let me get. I did sneak something in there that'll probably be up on social media soon. But uh, yeah, yeah. I still haven't found mine. I think you. I think you left it off of mine. Oh, the uh, no, no. There, it's on there. Okay, we, we'll you have to look, look at it. Harder. We'll have to look at it when you come to Nashville for the uh, the AK Concepts course that we're doing with Two Twelve Training Group and that Thank other you. voice that you guys are hearing is none other than Jared with 212 Training Group. Jared, welcome in. What's up, gang? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Marty. So, Mr. Seagraves, we've got a big uh, class coming up in Nashville at Royal Range USA, February the 20 and 21st, I do believe. Am I right? That That is spot on. There man. you go. We're super excited. There you go. Uh, we've got some spots available, so if uh, we've got some listeners that – They've scrounged up some money. Uh, maybe they broke up with their girlfriend. They don't have to buy a Valentine's Day gift now. Uh, where can they go to sign up for this course? Yeah, and you know that stimulus check was, you know, basically the the, the exact amount you need to, to join us there in Nashville. So okay. that, that may be a good investment. There. I didn't get a stimulus and, check. Uh, All right. I didn't either. <laughs> so you can you can suck it on that. Yeah, probably most of the Some of us pay taxes. Um, yeah. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, you can go to 212traininggroup.com or 212firearmstraining.com and uh, jump in there. We've got a, we've got some slots left. We're a little over half full. And if you're uh, searching out some ammo, I know Royal Range is going to be able to help us out with that. They're going to have some uh, ammo available to students there. We just uh, have to know you're coming, and we'll do our best to help you out there. So super excited about it. Man, it's going to be a great weekend, and, and can't wait to share the range with all you guys. Yeah, if you don't want to – to worry about lugging around your ammo for the trip to Nashville, then just call Royal Range ahead of time. Go ahead and buy it, and uh, they'll they'll keep it there for you and be waiting on you when you get there for the class. Uh, now, we're going to be doing um, rifle and pistol. You're going to be doing some transition drills as well. So tell everybody what they need to bring gear-wise to the, to the class. Yeah, so um, bring your AK, uh, sling. Uh, you're going to need roughly seven, eight hundred rounds of AK ammo over those two days. Uh, it, it is a shooting class. We are going to shoot for certain. 
and uh, you're going to need roughly 100 rounds of, of handgun ammo. So bring your sidearm. We are going to be working some transitions. This is going to be uh, a thinking man's class, guys. So we're going to be working on the most important weapon we have, and that's our brain. Um, so we're really looking forward to it. Speak for yourself. Some, some great people. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so uh, there's also, we're going to have a little extra uh, learning things going on with the class. Um, you're going to learn the inside of the gun too. Brian's going to do some some armorer's tips and tricks uh, while he's there as well. Brian's coming to the to the class. So Brian, talk about a little bit about what you're going to cover. Yeah, we're going to go over sort of basic care and feeding of the AK, what a rifleman needs to know about tearing down an AK. Um, I'm not a giant fan of cleaning AKs. Uh, it's one reason why I like the AK is that you don't need to clean it much. You just need to keep it wet. But once or twice a year, I like to strip the gunk out. And uh, knowing how to tear down a bolt, check that it's safe um, with some – the the with the AK and I believe the AR as well, there's no spring retaining the firing pin. And so if you trap enough gunk in that firing ch pin channel, you can uh, turn your, your, uh, your gun into an open bolt uh, kind of machine gun, which you don't want to do. That's a very <laughs> rare thing, but... Uh, <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> Don't tell people that. I mean that in a bad way. That is yeah, not... Right now, people are, like, pouring gunk into their bolt <laughs> carrier. They're... No, uh, but, you know, ALG triggers, uh, you know, are... are they're, they can be a great trigger if you fit them properly, but you need to know how to fit them or they are not safe. And um, as ALG says in their in their deal, so I'll show how to properly fit an ALG. Um, we'll talk about good lube, uh, you know, keeping your gun wet, fixing the stuff that occasionally rattles free, that kind of thing. So very cool. Uh, yep, that's going to be, be good. I'm looking. No offense, Jerry, but I'm really looking forward to uh, that part of it as well. Uh, and like you said, cleaning the gunk out. That leads us to one of our uh, supporting sponsors, as Occam Defense is one of our supporting sponsors, 212 Training Group, a supporting sponsor. Seal One is one of our uh, supporting sponsors. And uh, we had Dwight Settles. Uh, he was one of the owners of Seal One on a few episodes back. And uh, we had made an announcement that we're going to be doing some, uh, some giveaways with their products. So this episode, uh, we're going to give away some Seal One products uh, to properly clean, lubricate, uh, anti-corrosion, anti-seize, uh, your, your firearms, and it works on a lot of different other products as well. It's one product and it does everything. Uh, it's, it's organic, natural, you know, safe for the environment, safe for you, and uh, you guys can go to seal1.net, check them out. Uh, but at the uh, end of the show, we're going to take the listener questions that we had posted for you guys for Paul. And also, Guardian Targets slash Taz Fabrications has signed on as a supporting sponsor, and they're going to be giving away one of their Guardian Targets and their Target Stands, one of their unique, uh, it's like a folding stand for your AR-500 steel target that allows you to um, uh, to set it up on different kind of terrains and, and whatnot, so... Thanks to those guys for jumping on and, and supporting the show, but we're going to be doing a giveaway at the end of the show, pick some of you listeners to win these these prizes. And then, of course, Mission First Tactical has signed on this year as a AK Corner supporting sponsor, and we've got some of those AK Corner logoed 
dump trays that we're going to be giving away too. Before we uh, tap into Professor Paul's big brain there on the AK-47, let's recap a little bit on the history of the AK-47. So the AK-47, also called Kalashnikov Model 1947, it's the Soviet assault rifle, is the most widely used shoulder weapon in the world. It's estimated at some 100 million that exist uh, today. The initials AK represent Avtomat Kalashnikova, which is Russian for automatic Kalashnikov. For its accredited designer, which we bow to, uh, Mikhail Timonovich Kalashnikov. And I'm sure I screwed up his middle name. Uh, it was conceived as an intermediate rifle for Soviet foot soldiers. The AK became the prototype of the modern combat rifle. Built around a 7.62mm round with a muzzle velocity of 700 meters per second, it has a cyclic firing rate of around 600 rounds per minute, capable of both semi-automatic and automatic fire. It has a long, distinguished, curved box magazine. It holds 30 rounds on its standard magazine. Of course, we know there are larger magazine capacities available today. Uh, it has a separate gas return tube above the barrel that holds a piston that is forced back upon firing to activate the mechanism. It's gas-operated. Uh, it ejects the spent cartridge, and the hammer is cocked for the next round. So We all know that. So you want to go back to our Season 1. We do a more in-depth history there. You can go, uh, you know, we talk about the... The original AK-47 being milled and then them switching to the uh, stamped sheet metal receivers. Then we talked about the reasons why they did that. The impact that the AK has had upon the world, it has become more than a weapon. In many countries and cultures, it's a symbol and a social statement. There are even some countries that have the AK-47 on their flags. I believe Mozambique is one of those countries uh, that features the AK-47 on the flag. So uh, be careful if any Californians move to Mozambique because they want to take that off your flag. Um, <laughs> but, um, the Kalashnikov, is, it's the most recognizable weapon, weapon in the world. In Season 2 of the AK Corner, I believe it was Episode 11, we talked about how um, Hollywood, you know, how the AK-47 and, and how Hollywood was big in, you know, kind of making the AK-47 mainstream and it being the, the weapon of the bad guy. So you always associate bad guys with the AK-47. So, you know, when the news media shows you Somalian warlords and the Sunnis and Shittites and uh, the Palestines, uh, you know, even our political um, representatives – they're not leaders, they're representatives. Uh, you know, when they're trying to take guns away from us, they always use that AK-47 as, you know, ooh, this is an evil bad gun, Diane Feinstein. Uh, you know, when they're trying to explain how evil the, these things are with their banana clips and, and whatnot. <laughs> to, uh, always, you know, it's, it's been portrayed as the bad guy's weapon. and But even through its negative stigmatism that, uh, the media, Hollywood, tries to portray on the AK-47. Uh, it has gained a huge popularity here in America as well. Uh, 
which is why we've seen we've been seeing the huge uh, influx for the accessory market has grown a lot here in America for the AK-47 with hand guards, sights, triggers, grips, uh, stocks. I mean, you name it. The the availability uh, of those accessories and being able to accessorize and customize it uh, to your liking has really increased that popularity of the AK-47 here in America. So just a you know just a kind of a brief recap there that I wanted to do about the history. Like I said, if you want to go get more on that, go to our season one uh, and season twos too. Um, you're going to get a very good history on the AK-47 uh, and its evolution. You know how it's evolved and where it's at uh, today, and we're going to continue that here in season three. Uh, but we're kind of going to do a little um, time travel. We're going to go back to the Vietnam War. And um, that's why we brought in Professor Paul. So, Paul, you've been doing, you haven't been doing, you did a series back earlier this year. Uh, and it was called The Saigon Report. And I was really, really digging those, getting into those, but they just weren't long enough. You know, I wanted more, <laughs> I wanted more information, you know. <laughs> I was like, you bastard, why why tease me like this? So I thought... Oh, uh, yeah. No, uh, that's something I did uh, when when I was dealing with the... Uh, when I was dealing with L cancer, and I was trying to, like, be productive, be a productive human. So I scripted all of those episodes out. Uh, and then, of course, I lost my voice and couldn't talk. And so by the time I came back, did, did you like how I looked like I just got out of the jungle? And you did. <laughs> I was, brother, I was 50 pounds shy of my normal fighting weight. Yeah. Uh, you look like you were in Vietnam. Yeah, when we did those. And because uh, it, it occurred to me, it occurred to me that um, a lot of, I grew up listening to Vietnam veterans talk. Yeah. I grew up like basically just sitting over quietly and listening to these guys talk at gun shops or, or, you know, I remember uh, a good friend of my dad's coming over and them sitting on the porch drinking beers and this guy, you know, telling he was an infantryman in, in Vietnam. And so a lot of that stuff, I just took for granted that, Oh, well, most people know this or they understand it or whatever. But, you know, as time TikToks by, you realize that, that fewer and fewer people in the modern generation actually know, you know what I mean? Uh, they, where the, how the AR came about and why it was, uh, such a big deal because we see ARs today and it was like, oh, well, yeah, they've been around forever. Right. Yeah. But there was there was a time when that was the new hotness and it was strange. I mean, yeah. it was. Uh, and then. Well, not only know, the we, new hotness, but it was, you know, when they first came out, they, 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 were, they were hated. <laughs> oh, yeah. People yeah. didn't like them at all. Well, it, I, I have to believe that a lot of that crap was very much like the, the 1911 Glock stuff that we saw in the early 90s, late 80s, where people are like, I'm never going to carry a plastic gun. <laughs> right. You know, I'm, Americans don't carry nine millimeters. You know, and, <laughs> and here we are 20 years later, and they're like, yeah, get over yourself. Yeah. The, the Glock's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I I still know some some seventy something nomvets that will, won't own one. 
won't shoot one, won't own one. And I'm like, hey, rock on, man. But the fact of the matter is, is uh, you know, there were a lot of changes that every war that we go through, we see a lot of big changes. I mean, if you go back and you study the history of the Civil War, mm-hmm. all the innovations that came about during the Civil War, and then we moved on to World War One and two and so forth. And there were a lot of things that came out of um, the uh, the Vietnam War. One of the big things was we had to relearn again how to uh, do bat- treat battlefield casualties, you know, and yeah. we, we learned that. And then we forgot again during the Cold War. And then we had to relearn again during GWAT. So if you pay, if you're a student of history and you pay attention to these things, you'll see them up and down. But to get to the AK, um, can I answer one of the questions? Oh, you want to go to the but, listener questions now? Well, I mean, yeah. if we're going to talk it. about the Saigon report, yeah. one of the things that, uh, uh, you know how everybody on the internet, Brian, and, and uh, did Jared leave? He's going to be he back. Did. He's going to be back. Okay. But, you know, everybody on the internet is, is, is a genius and knows everything. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so when we did the, uh, you know, I did the What the internet the said. You know, all, I got this, all the, the AKs came from Russia, you know, and, uh, but they didn't come from China. They all came from Russia. And, and all you have to do is look at some old footage Look at the old footage, either the black and white newsreel footage or or the captured footage, you know, cap footage that we captured from the from the VC or the uh, the North Vietnamese Army. Right. And you look at the AK and I hate to, you know, I hate to oversimplify things, but if it's got a bayonet that has a hinge on it, that's a Chinese that's AK. Chinese. Yeah, that's Chinese. Okay, that's a Type 56 or Type 54 or Type 62 or, you know, how Chinese is type everything. I can't keep up with all their types. Uh, just give it a regular name. Oh, no, it's a Type da-da-da-da. Uh, and, and if it didn't, you know, it, it, the, the Russian bayonet is, is very easy to spot in photographs. Okay. I mean, Big, thick, it's hardy. Pretty, it's pretty distinctive. Yeah. Uh, and and they're crazy effective too. People look at it and they're like, "That's the weirdest looking knife thingy I've ever seen." And it looks weird until you stab something with it, and then you're like, "Oh, <laughs> that makes I get sense. it now." Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot. But the, it's vicious. The Chinese one is more spiky. Yeah, the Chinese they're of the. I think they're overcompensating. You know, they have a little <laughs> bit of this this overcompensation thing. Uh-huh. So all their bayonets got to be eighteen inches long. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just I saying. Mean, based on the evidence that has been presented to me, if you, if you had a psychologist analyze it, that's what they would tell you. <laughs> well, let me actually make a practical argument there because I haven't done a lot of fighting. Um, but what little I've done, it's been abundantly obvious that my albatross wing arms are a real advantage. And when you have small statured people, the length of thrust hey, on hey, an AK. Hey. Easy yeah. on small stature. Well, I, <laughs> Professor so, Paul, I got to tell you. Uh, so for our new listeners, have- Brian is like six foot 100 and, you know, he weighs 280. He's, he's a big boy. I'm he's two of me, but he's 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 corn fed. He's solid. Well, not I'm I'm a little flabby these days, sadly, but I'm getting back into it. Um, the uh, so that's one reason I send stuff to Jared is that he's like an inch north of being a little person, and uh, <laughs> I sent him uh, our brace with the standard length of pull 
<coughs> and, uh, you know, the first thing I got back from him in his Texas drawl is, how long is the length of pull on this thing? Because we, we sent it out to him at, when he was teaching a class. And I'm like, it's a standard pull. He's like, man, I got to get fully bladed to run this thing. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's it's a real thing. And so I just wonder with those AKs, there might have been a practical with the Chinese bayonets. I wonder if it wasn't about extending the reach of small statured people and well, overcompensating. Who knows? But Well, the, 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 bay, the bayonet length, the long bayonets, that transferred over from the Nagants. You know, the Nagant bayonet was 18 inches, and that goes back 100 and, I don't know, 140 years, whatever, mm -hmm. to 1898. Uh, and then the, the bayonet on the side folder, the Type 44, the Chinese, the Chinese shortened it down. Basically, they had a cavalry model uh, Nagant, but they still had the same length side folder. So this big, huge side folder uh, on there. And then, of course, the Russians. The, the Russians are smart. The Russians were doing wire-cutting bayonets long before we were. You know, that's something that they started doing probably 20 years before an American thought of doing that. Well, and it was like, oh, that's really dumb. And they're like, mm -hmm. it's dumb all the way to the bank. And, and that's one of my favorite things about the AK is that pretty much every part does at least one task. Like, the safety is also the dust cover. You know, like on an AR-15, there's like eight parts to implement the dust cover or something crazy. Like there's the the ball detent, the spring behind the ball detent. Um, there's that hinge pin. There's like there's like just all these fasteners that that are simply solved with the AK with literally the shape of the safety goes up and covers the void that's let, you know, that has to be there for the bolt carrier to reciprocate. And uh, why don't, I'm not sure all of our listeners are going to know what you mean by wire-cutting bayonets, so why don't you break that down? Because I think it's a, an, a brilliant example of the brilliance of the Russians. Oh, yeah. Way before we decided to adopt the M9 bayonet, you know, the Buck M9 bayonet, I was like, oh, man, it's the greatest thing. You could turn it into a grappling hook and, and all this. I'm like, <laughs> calm down, Sparky. Uh, <laughs> I never, I never saw anyone actually use it as a, as an effective grappling hook. I'm not saying it never happened, but I'm a little skeptical. But uh, yeah, the the Russians they put this weird oval cut in the bayonet, and if you look at it, it, it mates up perfectly with the scabbard, and it it is is an effective wire cutter. Now you're probably you're not going to cut through, uh, you know. 18 feet of chain link fence with it, but that's not what troops are doing anyway. They're, they're cutting comm wire. They're cutting trip wire. They're cutting, you know, uh, sound powered phones and yeah. crap like that. Uh, so to, to break it down even simpler, what professor Paul is saying is that like on a pair of brush loppers, you'll have a sharp blade and then you'll have an anvil, like a dull blade. Mm -hmm. And the scabbard is the dull blade and the, bayonet itself is the sharp blade and there's a little axle that you basically make a pair of scissors out of the bayonet and the scabbard mm -hmm. and it's just genius oh yeah and then and then you know i think it was was buck right marty yeah buck in, did in, in, in like 87 or 88 or something like came up with the m9 mm -hmm. and they're like oh look at this man and everyone and i remember i remember dudes going to the px i was when i was in the core and coming back with that thing oh yeah and 
the the mofo weighed like three and a half pounds or something. It came out after their uh, Buckmaster, the big buck. Yeah, That's the one heavy, that you're talking about with the grappling. <laughs> yeah, where you got these little pegs that you could screw into right there. the you into the, the grip. Yeah, you could you could you could thread these things in, and then it had a it had a lanyard loop, and I don't know, you could like throw it into minefields or something. I don't know what you're gonna do, but. Uh, <laughs> The but, seals uh, used it. it. They anchored boats with it. Is what the yes. original? No, I'm serious. That was the, That's what it was actually designed for. Anchor they anchored boats. their yeah, their go. little. Uh, I don't know what they called their little boats that they they came in on, but their little uh, blow up boats. You know. I've I've known a lot of Zodiacs. seals. Yeah, there's zodiacs there, there, and I've known a lot of seals, and I know that the seals for the longest time were just buying toys. Yeah. You get, all right, who remembers the HK, what was it, the Mark 25 or Mark 21? Help me out, Keeney. That HK Mark, the the huge, monstrous. Knife? Uh, and it came I in this, like, this suit. One. It came in a suitcase, and the seal the seals bought them, and they had they came with cans and extra mags and everything. And I had a, I, I worked with the, the Mark 23? Yeah, the Mark Twenty Three, this huge, uh, big forty five. They had to have. They had to have it, man. I mean, it just it, we had to have it. They bought them, and I, like I said, I used to work with when I contracted. I worked with all these different dudes, and one of the guys was a retired chief, and he's and he was in when they issued those. He goes, "Yeah, they were fun. We took them to the range." He said, "But I never carried one in the field ever." He said, it "Was it too big. It was too heavy." Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Just, monstrous instrument i said what'd you carry he said my 226 the whole reason they got the the seals to buy them was so that johnny you know johnny six-pack would get all gucci'd up and 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 have to own one. Oh yeah if because if the seals are using it you know yeah it was gotta be this is the best yeah it's gotta best. have it gotta have it want it yeah need it i've met i've met so many quote-unquote seals in my lifetime they must have at one point in time had divisions of seals <laughs> And I, <laughs> uh, how do you know if there's a seal in the bar with you? He'll tell you. Don't worry, he'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> the only problem is if he if he's a vegan that does CrossFit, then then they don't know what to bring up first. <laughs> a vegan atheist that does CrossFit, they they go into a, to tremors because they're not sure what to bring up first. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so let, let's get back. So the bayonets, uh, a mm -hmm. distinctive feature of the uh, the AKs that the mm -hmm. the NVA used. Uh, you know, they were using Chinese AK. They weren't. Well, they well, were using. Chinese they were using. Russian. They were using some Russians though, right? Because the Russians did oh, supply yeah. some of their their AKs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean through through uh, third parties. Yeah. Uh, most of you know came through third parties, but the the fact is, is if you look at these old black and white Vietnam foot, footage, you'll see you'll see Chinese AKs with the with the attached folding bayonets, and, and then you'll see the Russian stuff. Uh, it, it's it's and you just have to do your research. I remember somebody somebody uh, wrote an article and about the thirty round AR mag and how. Um, that while they technically were in existence during Vietnam, less than a hundred were issued in country or something like that. And so I started doing research and I'm, I'm pulling up photos of, uh, Arvin troops guarding an airport with 30 round mags sticking out of their, 
AR-15 or, you know, their M16A1s. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a scientist or anything, but I kind of feel like if they were in existence and they only issued a hundred of them, that they did wouldn't give them to the Arvin first. <laughs> you wouldn't think I'm so. I'm thinking they probably would have gave them to like the Marines or the army first. I mean, know? unless that was their test run and they wanted them to test. Yeah, they're it like, out. Hey, go try these and see if they work. Right. No. <laughs> Let's so see if that works. The, uh, one of the failed ideas, as I understand it, of the M16 in Vietnam is that that magazine was originally designed to be disposable, and they had these grand fantasies of flying in pallets of preloaded magazines and mm. not having to have anybody spend their time loading mags. And uh, that is not how it played out in reality. No, no. Yeah. Uh, and well, the, one of the interesting things about the... Uh, about the original 20 rounders was that they fit perfectly in the bandoliers. So you get a bandolier of M16 ammo, you know, uh, and you pull it out, load your mag and you could stick your magazine and it fit perfectly in the bandolier. And that was 100% deliberate. And you know what that was a carryover from? It was a carryover from, from Korea. Mm. Uh, well, Korea and, and late World War II, because the bandoliers, the green bandoliers uh, with uh, 30 carbine ammo, well, you'd fill up your 15 round, which was the standard at the time, your 15 round, and you stick it right back in that bayonet or that bandolier, and it fit perfectly. So, I mean, a lot of stuff that we think, oh, man, that's, that's genius. Like, yeah, it's genius because the Army was doing that 30 years ago, and they figured, hey, let's keep doing that. So let, you we're talking about some differences. So to to be able to tell the difference between the Russian AKs and the Type Fifty Six, you know, for our mm -hmm. historian buffs, they're looking at these pictures. the The most distinctive feature, like you said, is that that folding, the underfolder bayonet. You know, mm -hmm. It's hinged and it you know it folds from the bottom uh, outward. Uh, what's some other features that uh, are just pretty distinguished? Well. Brian could probably answer this one, but the, the fact of the matter is, you, you're depending on where it was made. You know your furniture. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that the Chinese were the first ones to start putting plastic furniture on AKs. Would you agree there, Brian? That's my understanding, but I'm I'm my AK history is is uh, not a, a super strong point of mine with AKs. So you you feel free to pontificate away. On was that during well, the the Vietnam War? Because most of those were wooden. Yeah, they're wooden. Yeah. Uh, there's and, a very and, there's a very distinctive side folder that was quite brilliant that the Chinese came up with. It's bakelite. Mm -hmm. um, it's got a big bakelite. It's kind of like a uh, Galil in shape, and uh, those aren't hard to find. And I don't think the Russians ever made that that style. So mm -hmm. if you see a uh, a side folder with with Bakelite on it, that's a that's a Chicom. Yeah. But I mean, it, and we and what we know about, especially the VC, uh, if they weren't if they were lucky enough to get an AK, a lot of them were repaired in the field they were you know they had the handguards wire wrapped or they had the stocks wire wrapped burlap or, yeah or burlap or whatever um so when you look at all these old pictures a lot of them are covered with all kinds of various crap material you know, and, that they could just find yeah, yeah. It's, it's and it's it's hard it's hard to know uh but yeah that they I mean and then you had the you know you had the rpks uh and then the the pkms and 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 all that jazz um 
and the RPDs. I don't know if the RPDs were as popular as the PKs. Uh, and that's some really super deep in the wood stuff. Yeah. Now they didn't. I can't. They didn't actually get outfitted with these until later on in the war, because in the beginning they were still using like Mosins and older type uh, rifles to to fight the the Allied troops. Well, the, right? the guerrillas basically got the bottom. You know, the guerrillas got the the they they had the bottom, uh, and then and that's pretty that's pretty typical. You know, when a, when one unit when a top tier unit gets new gear they kick their old gear down to the next unit below them and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So your, your dudes who are dressed up in your, in the pit helmets with the super Gucci, you know, khakis and so far, they got AKs and they're like, rock on. We don't want these SKSs anymore. Who are you going to do? Give them to those peasants in the black pajamas. <laughs> so they're like, give them to them. Well, and, and Mao wrote a, Mao Zedong wrote a fairly brilliant book on insurgency um, that, that uh, Jocko goes through over several hours and maybe a few episodes and pulls out some really choice quotes. But there's a fundamental um, difference in when you're an insurgent um, in that you start with nothing. You don't have a resupply. You're an insurgent. And so you're actually using your enemy's weapons as your resupply. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was famously done in World War II uh, with the, the Polish and French resistance where they would just get, you know, those liberator guns who shoot an officer, get a pistol or a rifle, whatever, mm-hmm. anything you could get, and then bootstrap your way up from there. And so, you know, the the uh, the Viet Cong were down to use anything, including stuff that they took from us. They oh, used yeah. spears. <laughs> they even used spears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were an extremely resourceful bunch. Yeah. But some of the... Uh... The handguns that they were using, uh, the Makarovs, the PMs, Mauser C ninety six, the M nineteen elevens. I guess they would find them laying around. I don't know. The Tokarovs. Oh, yeah, they take them. You know. Yeah. The Walther P thirty eights, and then like you said, the the rifles, the SKS, uh, and then I guess more prevalent, what most people think of is the AK forty seven, the AKM um, mm-hmm. type. Um, yeah, the the SKS doesn't. It's kind of the the Rodney Dangerfield of of the AK family. It doesn't get any respect, but it's the SKS is a very fine piece of machinery, in my humble opinion. The trigger on it is really good. It's fundamentally different from the AK. It's sort of a it's sort of a trigger cartridge. It's a different it's a different ball of wax. And, I gotta say that's one of the best analogies I've ever heard. Period. The Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> no respect. No respect. But they used a lot of the uh, French weapons too, because you know they kicked the French's ass um, several years before that. In that, uh, I can't remember the name of that war. Um, uh, Indochina is the is the the big the big turning point with with Indochina. I believe is the name of that con. Or yeah, that the Indochina battle. war. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's some talk of L1A1s in there, which is a, um, a foul basically, Mm -hmm. um, that, that they were grabbing off those guys. And, uh, you know, that's one reason I think that the M16 was, was so loathed by the troops is the, uh, the M14, I haven't had a lot of trigger time behind one, but that is a beloved rifle. And you can reach out and touch someone with that. That's a seven, six, two 51 round in there. 
and um, having to transition over, it was the 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 first of the Armalite rifles or ARs was the AR-10, and that's from my understanding, that is what um, the M14. Helped me, Professor Paul, the inventor of the of the AR, Stoner. Stoner. Yeah, Stoner. Stoner yeah. brought Stoner. the AR-10 by, and they're like, this thing's cool. But Robert McNamara, who's the head of the DOD during Vietnam, had this group of mathematicians running a bunch of calculations to figure out how to carry out a scientific war. And that's where they developed this whole theory of carrying more ammo and wounding the, the opponent and uh, tying up more personnel in the field, taking care of them. And that only works if, if your opponent values human life, which, you know, depends on the culture you're in, whether that's a good gamble or not. And uh, so they said, yeah, this AR-10 is cool and everything, but we need it in, in 5.56, um, which was a varmint round, more or less, as I understand it. And uh, on this theory that there'd be a lot of Wounds. dismounted patrol. Yeah. What's that? It, it would be more of a wounding round than a killing round. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, yeah, this was a, a brand new rifle coming out into the field um, that had never been in a war before. And uh, the Soviets had all of this experience with World War II um, that that was not the same sort of parentage that the, M the M16 was just a brand new thing. And to my understanding, um, some genius in procurement decided to change out the powder that Stoner had specced. And he had specced mm -hmm. a very clean burning powder, but they could get dirty powder cheaper. And so they used that. So that was problem number one. And mm -hmm. the other problem was that, uh, you know, the there's something called uh, galvanic corrosion, which is where you take two dissimilar metal metals, stick them together and and because of science, you get a voltage across them. And if you pair a voltage with water and metal, you get corrosion at a vastly accelerated rate. And uh, they had not properly, they had not figured out all what's called the passivation of those different interfaces in the metal. And so these early M16s had awful fouling and corrosion brought on by this, you know, steam room that was Vietnam. So you had a, a few different problems that that really came home to roost in the early days of Vietnam. And I think they were able to work the kinks out fairly quickly, but there mm -hmm. were some real problems at the outset there with reliability that, um, the, the, yeah, that, that, that earned it some derision. Yeah. It, well, and that's a, the thing that you, we still have this stuff today. We still have these people are like, oh, no, 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 the M16 won't run. No, 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 no. It's like, okay, bro, it's not 1963 anymore. <laughs> and we, we've got 50 years of experience under our, our it's not the technology's same. caught and, up. Yeah. Yeah. It's caught up. Uh, and well, then, and they've also, if, if you look at the Brownells did a really good job of, of doing the retro guns. And if, if any of you guys out there, if you're looking for a, uh, basically a step one, two, three, four, or the evolution of the, of the M16 Brownells built those. And the interesting thing about, I know we're talking AKs, but the interesting about the, the, uh, the M16 <laughs> is that it kind of started like the car, the M1 carbine did the M1 carbine came into service so that we could give support personnel a long gun. Right, rather than a pistol, they're like, no, we'll, we'll give them this. It's it won't be a main battlefield gun, but we'll give it to guys on guard duty or riding on trucks or you know the the, the cooks or whatever you know. Paratroopers. The support 
service, right? Well, the M16 was the same thing. The, the, they sold it first to the Air Force for the, for the SPs as this basically a guard gun. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it, it was a very similar situation. And, and they're like, oh, well, if we're going to do that, well, you know, let's do this and this and this. And so it, it evolved and it became what it is now. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of things that you could look at. Like, for instance, why do we develop a 30 round magazine for the for the M16 when we started with a 20 round magazine? Well, because the enemy had 30 round magazines. And at some point in time, somebody said, well, they're all starting with 30 rounds and our guys are starting with 18 or, or 19 or whatever. Yeah. They're downloading two. So, the, the you know, uh, so, so it feeds. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it made sense to to bump up to the thirty round magazine, and you said, "Why did they do 20s? Well, they did twenties because that was the standard. You know, the M14, twenty rounds, the bar. Some egghead was just sitting around, was like, uh, twenty rounds is enough." Yeah, well, I mean, the the BAR, the original standard mag for a BAR was twenty rounds. Uh, so it a lot bigger, a lot heavier gun too. Uh, weight oh, yeah. probably came into play on that. I'm sure. Well, and you know, something that people don't understand or poo-poo was the genius of Stoner using aluminum and polymer. Because everyone's like, oh, I love the M14. You never humped one, biatch. <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you never humped one for 25 clicks. Tell me how much you love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a... That's another real advantage of the SKS that doesn't get talked about a lot is that for smaller framed people, it's a much easier gun to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my wife's 110, 120 pounds soaking wet and humping a, or shouldering a standard AK for her is very difficult. And you should dry her off. <laughs> <laughs> She'll catch cold this weather. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh yeah the sks really is not anywhere near as front heavy as a standard ak and Mm -hmm. uh, it's downloaded in ammo obviously or on stripper clips in the in the 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 way in which it was intended and um yeah it's just an easier rifle to shoulder for these smaller folks you know if you run into i haven't met i'm sure they exist but vietnamese folks i have not run into a whole bunch of six footers you know they're generally Mm -hmm. Smaller framed folks, and um, so yeah, I can imagine an AK being a lot of gun to have to move around. Yeah. Well, and and to the point of development is just technology and material science is. You know, Paul, you were talking about the AR, and so many people out there are building their own, and they have to deal with budgets and economics drives people to buy sometimes cheap materials and material science has made huge strides in recent years and that innately lends itself to reliability and you know brian does a tremendous job in the ak industry of of innovation and materials that lend to reliability and the same has occurred in the ar industry is is you know what's the primary moving component of the ar and that's the bcg and when you, you know, buy mil spec cheap BCG that costs you fifty bucks versus one with modern coatings, you're going to see a difference there. And you know that's that's something that you see across the board. And sometimes people don't take advantage of advancements in material science. So that's a huge deal, in my opinion. 
Yeah. So, so let's the, go the back. Most, let's rewind back ahead. to the Vietnam guns here. Mm-hmm. We're not quite to the advancement yet. So what 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 they had to work with and what they were working with. Let's talk about let's talk about that. Well, yeah. Let's actually talk about wood and and corrosion. We've just talked about some of the problems with the M16. Yeah. Um, by contrast, there's no aluminum on a on a stock AK. And so you don't have the galvanic corrosion, meaning you don't have two dissimilar metals butted up against each other. And uh, you only get that voltage when you have two dissimilar metals. And so they cut that problem off right there by not causing it. And then... um, Unless you get that ammo, the corrosive ammo. Well, yeah, but that's that's a different thing. And that's just salt water. And so... um, Urine is fantastically effective at getting rid of the salt that is in uh, the corrosive ammo. Is that what you're saying? I use I use Windex, <laughs> but you. you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, those of us who aren't the bourgeois, Paul, um, use piss. <laughs> and uh, you know, Travis Haley uh, has a great. Someone's going to be on a range oh. of their AK. And they're like, <laughs> Brian Maybe told me to do this. <laughs> No, Travis Haley uh, spent, and Jared's an instructor for Travis, uh, part-time there. And uh, Travis uh, spent a bunch of time in Africa. And in his adaptive collage video, he shows the African method for dealing with um, corrosive ammo. And that is, uh, you, I think what he did was take one one of the sling swivels off, and he basically heaved the thing in a river and then pulled it out a few times with the action open, and you're just running water through your bore. And so, uh, in most of the climates in Vietnam, um, I, from what I understand, water is pretty plentiful. And so, dealing with the corrosive ammo is is uh, is a thing that you can do there. Um, and then the other thing, you know, we did extensive testing and developing our Merc handguard on temperature rise of the handguard. Um, our standard was three magazines because that's a decent loadout um, at a at a it was a two second interval on on shots, and then we would chart the temperature rise of all the different kinds of handguards. And it is very very hard to beat wood. Um, you know, you might call uh, we used to joke that that wood handguards we called them. Uh, uh, gosh, what was it like? Horizontally aligned carbon fiber. And, uh, you know, it's that whole insulator versus non-insulator basic science shit. It's that thing. And, um, you know, if you oil wood, it's, it's pretty hard to get it to rot. And so the, the material science on the AK is, is fairly brilliant for what was available. Now, Stoner took a quantum leap forward with the plastic there. Polymer, Um, yeah. 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 And, and so two different ways of skinning the cat, but. Yeah, wood is wood's pretty hard to beat. So with your uh, with your test there, and I know we've like gotten way off topic here, but this is interesting as fuck. Um, the polymer versus the wood. Which one? What kind of test results were you getting on those on the the heat tests you were doing? Polymer is pretty good as well. Um, but which one? Which one was better? Gosh, I don't want to lie to you. I don't remember. Um, but we should re- <laughs> okay. we should redo those tests and and you know that is a thing we could. You do. got spare time, yeah, because I got a lot of spare time. That's right. <laughs> where where you really start to see differences is in all the metal handguards. Mm-hmm. The the, sure. the different 
are the starting. waffle irons. Yep. Yeah, definitely. yeah. The 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 early two thousands waffle irons. You know when when the in two thousand four when the crime bill expired and everybody all of a sudden had to have a black rifle. You know the industry just ramped up and they're like, well, we could sell you stuff, and so they're selling people you know two pound like waffle irons to put on the front of their their ARs and those things. You know, it's a good thing you have gloves available because those things get hot fast, yeah. and they're also front heavy as crap. Yep. You know the 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 two thousands era um, aluminum rails. Jeez, Louise! It's almost. I go back and I look at some of the old stuff, and it's almost embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a really interesting trade off, and. Um, it's something that we discovered and and tried to optimize the best we could. You know, you can make a little thought experiment here. You know that that cloth that you use to insulate wood stoves and like uh, furnaces and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a weird. It's like a fiberglass cloth kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you could imagine wrapping the barrel in that and then putting um, metal over the top of that, and obviously the metal on the outside would never get hot, right? Because you've got all this fire cloth insulating it. But we both we all know the the downside, and the downside is that you're going to melt your barrel down. Yeah, it holds the holds the heat against the barrel. That's right. And so the upside of those waffle irons is that they dump heat off of the barrel really quickly. So if you're going for sustained fire, um, and you don't mind cooking waffles while you're doing it, those waffle iron ones actually do a good job at keeping or the branding barrel. your hand. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> While branding your hand, they do a great job at keeping the barrel cool. So you've got, those are the two extremes that you can have a big heat sink that gets really hot but keeps your barrel cool. Or you can have this fire cloth insulator here where you have a comfy hand. But I actually used one of those a few years back. I've got some videos of it too where we're shooting full auto. Um and it, like you said, the handguard never got, I mean, I could touch it to my face after dumping three mags full auto and I could touch it to my face and it was, you know, perfectly fine. But I didn't really think about the damage it was doing to the barrel. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's when you do these wraps on, on handguards, that's, that's the downside. And yeah. I can tell you that on one interesting thing is that the peak temperature after three mags is about the same. Um, but across all different handguards and it's sitting up at about 450 Celsius, if I remember correctly, call it 900 degrees, somewhere in there, yeah. 840, 900, something like that. And the difference is in how fast they cool down. Right. And, um, so it, it let's go, yeah. let's get back to AKs cause this is the talking light AK corner. So <laughs> this is all good stuff and we need to talk about this in another show. Uh, definitely. But I want to, I want to get to Paul, and there's some questions that I want to ask Paul, and you know, maybe we'll get back to the Vietnam stuff or not. But uh, we just, yeah, whatever. Like I said, we, you know, it goes where it goes. What What's your uh, earliest experience with the AK-47? Uh, about ninety, ninety two, ninety three. Um, and how did that, that the first, come about? Huh? How did that come about? Oh, I, I actually. Uh, uh, I, I, my first experience with, with them was picking them up off the ground in the desert, but they didn't want us to shoot them. We had to turn them in so they could destroy them because they were the weapon of the enemy. Uh -huh. uh, but, but when I got back, I bought an Egyptian Mahdi 
uh, AK, which I don't even, Brian, I don't think you can get them anymore. I don't think they, they'll import them anymore. That's, you know, the, I, yeah, the I don't imported. You can find kits still, but I don't, yeah, I'm not aware of anybody importing Mahdi's as, as full rifles into the country. So it was your very yeah, first so AK, it was a Mahdi? That was my first AK. What uh, year was that? And, uh, probably 93. Around 93? Okay. 92, 93 time frame. Uh, probably got and, it for cheap too, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did. <laughs> Dude needed some money, and and he put an ad in the paper. Oh, my gosh. And I called him on this, this phone, and we had a conversation, and what's, I drove and met him and handed him What's this money. paper thing you, you speak of? Oh, I know. Too. It was this yeah. black and white thing that you ruffled around. Uh, get ink but, on your uh, Yeah. So that was the first one I got, and and then, uh, you know, as and that was basically right about the time that I was putting together words to try and to to start writing, because uh, my my first article actually was published in late '93, early '94 timeframe. So then, you know, then I started you know doing more and more work with them, and and I've I've used the the Romanian stuff and the Czech stuff and the you know this and that and the other and all that jazz over the last 20, well, you do the math, the so, so many years. And something that, that has been really interesting to me is, is how Americans are finally, you know, Brian, you, you deal with this. I'm sure you see it. It's, it's the year, you know, 2020, 2021. And when you still get somebody who's like, I would never own an AK because it's the weapon of the enemy. Which like, they bro. could see you doing your your thing <laughs> right now, <laughs> bro. It's like, bro, come on, come on. It, it's this isn't 1975. You didn't just get back from the nom. <laughs> the uh, nom. You know, the, the the fact of the matter is, dude. It's just it, it's there's there's no reason not to know that platform. And, and if you're going to be a well-rounded shooter, there are a couple of platforms that you, you need to understand how to operate. And uh, one of them is the AK. The AR is obviously another one. And then I would also say the, the HK uh, roller lock platform, you need to learn how to run that because that's a different animal completely than an AR or an AK. Yeah. Uh, but what's inter- it's interesting to me when you take AR guys and you make them shoot an AK – how bunged up they get. And you're like, dude, this was made so that an 18 year old Russian conscript, like draftee private could figure it out. 12 year old. That's a, that's a phenomenal point, but I, I will, I will add this. That's me. That's the AK shooter. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, coming to the, I mean, the AR shooter coming into the AK world and the ergonomics of the standard AK versus the AKM with some of the modern modifications to the rail system, it's a vast difference. Now, baseline of knowledge of ergonomics, even in the AR platform, there's something to be said because a lot of guys don't even shoot the AR the way it's meant to be shot as far as the modern methodology goes. Um, I remember... In 19, Red October, demo shoots there, um, helping guys shoot the Occam and making a few little changes to how they were gripping the gun and the differences they saw, it blew them away. Um, a guy was, was shooting one of Brian's demo guns, and we tweaked their grip a little bit and their stance a little bit, and they said, holy crap, no one's ever shown me that. 
So I, th- I think there's there's a stigma to the AK that can be overcome with just a little bit a little bit of education, and that's a hard thing to get people to to seek out. So <laughs> really. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to, to jump in and, and interrupt you, Paul. But no, no, I'm just I'm teasing. Man, like, there's, yeah. there's there's such an opportunity out there. Well, I think what we're take- seeing, and you know, the reason for this uh, series that I started, you know, two years ago, was to to get more exposure on the AK-47. But you know, it's it's probably one of the most uh, as far as rise in popularity over the last I don't know ten years. Uh, it's you know it's a very sought after rifle nowadays. I think the stigmatism of the AK is is in the past, and you know you you just got those like you said the old timer, you know that you know stuck in their ways that uh, you know 1911's way to go AK 47's any weapon of the enemy. That's just that's just not the case anymore. With well, uh, well I, and there's a I, there's a I lot do. of newer shooters that are are coming into the firearms industry. Um, that have never even picked up an AK, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, misconceptions about it. And you put an AKM in their hands and show them how to use it properly, and they're blown away. Yeah. Well, coming how, coming from a, a training standpoint, you know, you you get to see that. And Paul, you do a lot of training as well. What's been your experience with, you know, a, a first time AK shooter? Well, actually, uh, it's, it's, you brought it up. We talked about this a little bit before uh, we went live. Um, I'm doing the uh, the Patriot Fire Team Leadership Series. Yeah, talk about that. And uh, we had the, the very first seminar we did was in December, and I brought the guys in. And what I'm doing is I'm doing deliberately very small, close, personal, hands-on classes with the leadership seminars. Uh, essentially, I bring in a fire team, which is four guys. I bring in four guys and uh, from the moment they arrive to the moment they leave, they have to work and, and operate and function as a team. And uh, what I decided to do was I, I brought the guys in for the first time and I said, hey, uh, how much experience do you have with the AK? And the one guy's like, well, I own one, but I've only shot like two magazines through it. And the other guy's like, I never have. I'm like, great, because all, you're all going to shoot AKs this weekend. And uh, so I took them out to the, to the range and made them run drills. And even though we know that it's designed to be really super simple, I mean, it's, it's not high science. It, you know, it, it's, it's really like barely literate Russian 18-year-old or, you know, child soldiers in sub-Saharan Africa. They can figure out how to make this thing work, man. I, I guarantee you can figure it out too. Uh, but it's interesting because – you know, a lot, especially a lot of guys with AR experience or pistol experience, they're used to shoving that mag up in the hole, you know, and, and you have to teach them how to grab the lip and rock it. And that's completely different. And uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, keeping your hand on the pistol grip and using your support hand to charge it, quit playing the switchy hand game and stuff like that. Oh, the bolt's on the, it's on the wrong side. No, it's not. Here, watch this. Whoop, ninja magic. I just made it run. Uh <laughs> so it, it it it's interesting, uh, and every everybody who everybody who did the class is like, wow, I'm glad I got you know I'm glad I got that experience. I'm, I'm glad I was able to to do that. When the, and the main reason I did it because it's a leadership class, and I said you're going to go back to wherever it is you're from, and guys are going to show up to be on your team, and some people are going to show up with AKs, 
And you can't just say, oh, that's the weapon of the enemy, and we don't use that here. It's like, no, you need to be able to work with these people. Uh, that's what being a leader is all about. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, the, the truth of the matter is, in, in the standard configuration, uh, most AKs are just fine. Uh, Brian's is obviously way better because it's not – It's you can use a full-size gun that's not front-heavy. Uh, you know, that balances really well. The ODS uh, 1775? Yeah. Yep, the 1775 balances the, – it's the best balancing rifle in the AK style that there is. Uh, hey, so Paul, you, get, you mentioned, uh, you know, manipulations of, of mm-hmm. just mag changes. You know what's amazing is when we see a line of, you know, 20, 25 students in an AR class – and you do a reload, how many mags do you see falling out and hitting the ground because they weren't seated? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when you, when, you, when you teach people how to properly reload an AK, you just don't see that. And that's, that's a pretty significant thing. You know, that's, a lot of people think that the, uh, the AK reload is difficult and it's a, it's a uh, significant thing to overcome. But the the system works man and when you seat it you seat it they don't fall out you don't have any user error um i think that's a pretty significant thing when not hitting that mag release button by accident yep Mm -hmm. yep that's another one so mags it's a neat thing to see well yeah with with the ak they either get it in or they don't now they might sit there for you know two minutes trying to get it in but But they know it's not in in. yeah that they know it's not that's right it's not in yet. It's like a 16-year-old with his first day. That's right. <laughs> I knew you were going to go yeah, there. Man. I have to. I had to do that. Yeah, definitely. But uh, talk about the fire team. How did you come up with the uh, the, the fire team? Uh, Patriot fire team was an idea I, I came up with about five or six years ago. And essentially, you know, the, the American media being as evil and hateful and despicable as they are, They've been portraying the term militia in a negative light as a pejorative for probably 30 to 40 years. And it's gotten worse and worse and worse every year. Even though the fact that militia is codified in our founding documents, it's still a bad thing, according to CNN. So I said, all right, fine. You want to play? I'll play your happy little game. I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call all these guys that are working together a fire team. And I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the infantry, and the the core unit of the Marine Corps infantry is a four-man fire team. And then you build a squad, and then you build a platoon, and then you build a company, et cetera, et cetera. But four men is easy there. It's easy to uh, uh, basically control. That's why you have a small unit, because it's easier to control four people than to try and control 13 or 12 or whatever. And... You know, I wrote the book, The Patriot Fire Team Manual, which is basically a how-to um, recruit people, talk to people. And it's not some crazy, like, living out in the woods militia thing. It's it's basically, it goes back to the original founding idea of we're all neighbors, and at some point in time, we might have to work together. So we should probably have a plan before mm-hmm. we need to do it, not You mean after. like a local community? Yeah, like actually working together as a community, um, not a bunch of random strangers. Uh, and so that's why you know I came up with the echoes, idea of the Patriot Fire Team. Yeah, echoes back to our Liberty series, uh, Brian and Jared. That, uh, that's right. That we've been doing. So, 
So tell them where yeah, they can so, get that book real quick while you're talking about uh, it in case they want to go. There's this little online shopping thing called Amazon. Uh, and if you if you type in the word Paul Markle, M-A-R-K-E-L. Yeah. Uh, On Amazon. Yeah, the, yep. I did the uh, I did the Patriot Fire Team manual like in twenty fifteen. And then this last year, I think it was fifteen or sixteen, I don't don't hold me to it. And then this last year, people said, Yeah, but I want to know specifics. I want to talk about specific guns and specific this. And I said, All right. So I did uh, basically a follow up called the equipment guide, the Patriot Fire Team Equipment Guide. And for all of you you uh, mouth breathers, there's lots of there's pictures. There's there's illustrations in it, so it help you out, make you feel better about that. So <laughs> it's a picture book. Yeah, is this? You know, I mean, it's not completely illustrations, but it does have illustrations in it, uh, and it gets real like super deep into the weeds about you know, well, what kind of stuff should we have specifically? Yeah. Uh, whereas in the, the original manual, it's like get a rifle, get a pistol, get a shotgun. Yada yada, and and of course, it's, it's more than that. I mean, there's there's medical. We talk about medical training. We talk about leadership. We talk about community relations. We talk about how to you know sit your family down and say, okay, we need to be prepared humans here. Um, uh, so there, there's there's a there's way more to being a prepared community than just yeah, I got a gun, you got a gun, you know, and, and that's what we see in our world now, mm-hmm. guys. You know, they 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 meet at the at the hardware store and they're like, you know, we're neighbors and you like guns. Yeah. I like guns. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anything bad ever happens, grab your gun and we'll meet at the cul-de-sac. Okay. And that's their point. So, yeah. Yeah. That's Gotta go plan. a little deeper than that. Yeah. If anything bad happens, grab your gun and meet at the cul-de-sac. Well, that, that's awesome. So now we're four people who own guns, but four people who own guns are not a team. And the idea that, well, if it ever, I, dude, if I hear this one more time, I'm going to like grab a butter knife and start taking hostages. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, well, if things ever get bad, then we'll do whatever. Like, Reactive instead much, of proactive. Yeah. How much, how much worse are you, what are you waiting for? You mean like if they ever decide to randomly censor you? Or to take or to, to if, you know the courts stop doing their job if your vote no longer matters if if the media and big tech randomly censor everything you say if it ever gets bad mm-hmm. brothers and sisters I don't know <laughs> but uh, yeah so there's a big di- my, my main por- purpose in all of that is there's a a big difference between being four guys that like guns or that own guns yeah. and four guys that are able to work together as a team. So this, this, uh, what did you call it? Um, what the Patriot fire team leadership, the seminar? leadership. Yeah. The leadership mm-hmm. seminar. How does, how does yeah. one get to be a part of that? Is that something that they sign up for? Or do you pick people? You personally handpick people for that? Well, actually, uh, what we've done is with student of the gun, as many of your listeners already know, uh, we have this thing called the grad program, which are our dedicated subscribers. And what I'm doing with, because it's wintertime and, you know, I needed to, I wanted to get these, these things going quickly. We're actually housing the students in my own home. Uh, so what we did is we made it available to grad program members because they have a, an investment in the product. And most of them, if not all of them, well, we haven't met all of them, but a lot of them 
uh, we know and are aware of. And, uh, and a lot, and the great thing about our grad program people is I don't always have to hold their hands. Mm-hmm. They, they actually know each other. Sure. You know, they, they talk and work and, and, and kibitz back and forth with each other. Yeah. Uh, so they've got like-minded individuals working together. Uh, so, and how uh, often do you do they, these? Uh, we're actually, we've got one, we've got one coming up this weekend and then we have another one the last weekend of January, and that's the last one we've got scheduled right now. Okay. Are those already filled, uh, or how do you go yeah, about filling those we've classes? We've got one space left in the last class. Uh, it is, so if somebody's a grad program member, they should already know it. Uh, and the weird thing about where I am is being in the mountains, you think, oh, it snows all the time, like Switzerland. Actually, here, our heaviest snows are February and March. Like right now, there's just a dusting of snow on the ground out here. And tell them where uh, you're at. But yeah, in 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 Wyoming. In Wyoming, yeah. Yeah, in Wyoming. So that's beautiful. Yeah, we've God seen country. some of your uh, posts lately with the snow and and whatnot. So yeah, we had a little bit of snow here in Tennessee. I think we probably I had our. That. I think we had our half an inch for the year. So <laughs> that's probably Ooh. all we're going to get. But uh, talk about so your first AK, you had the Mahdi. How did how did it evolve from there? How did your love for the AK evolve from there? Well, it you know there was basically there was that, the the dark times, you know, nineteen ninety three I get my first AK, and then nineteen ninety four nineteen ninety five we we went to the dark side, and as Americans we allowed the we allowed the socialists to take over and and ban all this crap. Yeah. So that so you had. You know, I, I did a bunch of gun reviews during that time, but, you know, you're getting a gun and everything was, when you would write up the article, you're like, magazine capacity, 10 plus 1, 10 plus 1, 10 plus 1, 10 plus 1. That was everything, unless it was a revolver uh, or a pump action. You know, all the pistols were 10 plus 1 and blah, 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 blah. And so it wasn't until the the kind of the floodgates broke open in 2004 because I mean, think about it. The manufacturers you could you could name on basically one hand uh, the number of self-loading rifle manufacturers in the United States uh, during the the dark times, of the Clinton gun ban. Mm-hmm. Because who, who the hell's going to invest a half a million dollars to develop you know machinery and parts and barrels and everything when when you're selling people ten round guns, you know, featureless, basically California guns. Yeah. Uh, and, and people didn't want them, so there there was this niche group of guys that that had Olympic arms guns or Colts or whatever. Uh, you know, Bushmaster was barely making a blip on the radar back then. And that, back when they had the Bushmaster, actually came out with their original bullpup gun. You guys remember those, Brian? Yeah. Do you remember the original bullpup? Oh man, yeah. Oh. So if you had one of those now, you'd be you'd be doing well. Uh, I wouldn't get rid so, of it. <laughs> no. No. Well, then, you know, 2004, the floodgates opened and and American manufacturers and importers realized like, wow, man, we can we can make guns and we can sell guns. and We can import guns. And that's when it really uh, busted open. You know, being in the Marine Corps, I, I obviously knew how to use an AR or an M16. Um, but the, the the really getting deep into the, you know, the weeds with the AK pistols. I mean, that's that's something that uh, you know we can we can thank the guys over at uh, Alex at, at freaking SB Tactical for breaking that gate open because you know 8 years ago 
uh, a Draco pistol was basically a range toy. Yeah. It was cool. It's a novelty you know, kind make, of thing. Yeah. It makes you look like a gangster, but, <laughs> you know, uh, they're the cool movies. But it wasn't until, you know, Alex uh, at uh, SB Tactical broke the dam open and then everybody jumped on. So Yeah, it was just it was just the wild west after that man with the Mm -hmm. pistols so um what i mean what really got you hooked on the ak 40 because i mean just looking at your post and you know talking about it i would say that you really like the ak more than you do the ar well it was probably about i don't know 15 years ago or something yeah about 50 50 i mean i I run both uh but i i felt like i i needed to you know i i I put so many thousands around to an AR. I, I felt like I needed to step up and, and really learn how to run uh, an AK. You know, I've been friends with Sonny Pazikas uh, since 1999. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, before you knew the, who the hell he was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's before I got into of this. Course, yeah. yeah, of course. You know, he, he's, he's an AK running freak. And then, of course, Jaeger's an AK, AK running freak, too. And uh, I started training uh, at tactical response both with a- AKs and ARs and Nagants too. Oh really? I, I did I did a fighting rifle class with the Nagants. <laughs> Were you just trying to piss Jaeger off? I was going to say what kind uh, of shit did you catch for that? Oh, he much respect. Are you kidding? Yeah. I had a full-size Nagant with an 18-inch bayonet and I, I ran fighting rifle with that. There were there were lots of people <laughs> ah. there. Some some people remember when I I run into people they're like, I remember you. You're that guy who came with the, with the, the, with the, God, right? the Mosin, <laughs> the Mosin rifle. You can get those bastards hot. Oh, I bet Don't you can. Yeah, I believe it. I yeah. believe it. <laughs> and you didn't poke anybody's eye out with that. Oh, uh, almost, almost. <laughs> so. Do you guys know why uh, this is an AK question? Kinda, because the PKM runs off uh, seven sixty fifty four. Do you guys understand why 76254 has gotten to be hard to get? Because uh, the 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 545, you know, the 7 and 6 stuff got banned because of the AK pistol that somebody built with it. You know, so you had an armor-piercing pistol, and that's what the ATF used as, as a... Uh, a lie. A lie. Fraud. A, a fraudulent Deception. lie to, uh, to ban it. But, you know, as far as I know, nobody's made a... A Mosin pistol. Oh God, I bet somebody has. Um, but oh, yeah, there is. Do you guys know wh- why it's so hard to get? It doesn't make any sense to me. But today, yeah. Well, everything is today. Well, no. Oh. As of a, as of a year ago. A year uh, ago or a week ago? No, no. Oh. I mean, two years ago. Sorry, I forget. He's just we're saying in that in normal trial. times, when yeah. other ammo was plentiful and regular and easy to get, you're saying that that wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the, 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 the 54 uh, in 2018 was 17, 18, 16, probably. Uh, Century was bringing it in under the Red Army Standard label. And then, uh, who is it? Uh, uh, Barnall. Barnall uh, started bringing it in. And the Barnall stuff's really good. But I was still able to. I mean, I've I've bought I've bought ham cans. You know, uh, I must be out to lunch. I was yeah. Like, you're, I you know, but before before the current 
situation. psychotic yeah. situation that we're in. Uh, I, I could find it. And it was, quite frankly, it was the least expensive 30 caliber cartridge you could find. Uh, it was it was less than 30-30. Should have went to AmmoSeek, Brian. Six. Yeah. <laughs> AmmoSeek.com. They'll find it for you. Sniff there you out. go. <laughs> so let's do this. Um, we're, we're starting to to run into our time here. I want to get to these listener questions, and then we got a, a giveaway to do. Uh, we haven't talked much about, you know, what our main topic was going to be, the, the Vietnam uh, AK and RPK. We hadn't talked about the RPK at all, but. Let's do this. Let's take some questions. Here's one from John Adams. He says, who supplied most of the weapons to Vietnam? Could you explain the story of the secret exploding 7.62 but three nine rounds left for the Vietnamese? Any truth to the stories? I've actually oh, heard hell. a story about that. Uh, pr- basically, I, now that one specifically I can't speak to, mm-hmm. but I, I know throughout the history of warfare, that Sabotage. all sides have used rigged, dummy, um, bad ammo. Like they've left behind um, ammo, purposely. hoping that the enemy would use it, yeah. uh, and, and knowing that when they, you know, loaded it up, like one out of every twenty rounds was a, you know, basically all you got to do is is double or triple a powder charge, uh, or, or put the wrong powder in it. Yeah. All you reloaders, you know, <laughs> what happens when you put rifle powder in a pistol cartridge or whatever. So that's not exactly rocket science to to uh, to make sabotage rounds or, you know, but but that's that's the kind of the history of guerrilla warfare. I mean, that goes back long time. Uh, and, you know, they've been doing that for a long time. Uh, but as far as I think, as, Kirkham, part of the question, I think Kirkham. We've talked about that on the show before. I can't remember. Doing we it talked in Afghanistan. To... Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but I think we talked about the Vietnam War too. That they were. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if we did a show on it or I watched a documentary. But uh, anyway. But yeah, there is truth to that story. So yeah, absolutely. First part of his question was, uh, who supplied most of the weapons to Vietnam? We kind of covered that a little bit. You know, China yeah. and, and Russia. It depends on you know. It, it was pretty much all through intermediaries. You know, Russia tried to pretend like they weren't deliberately. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, this plausible deniability crap. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, depending on who you talk to, depending on which unit it was, uh, you know, the the stuff that was going, you know, into Cambodia, into Laos, coming over the mountains. Um, everybody tried to have plausible deniability, but they still kept getting guns and ammo. Yeah. Dickie the Third wants to know what was the most effective tactics utilized in Vietnam, either side. Agent Orange. Agent Orange. Okay. It's my understanding that of all the casualties in Vietnam, those um, from actual gunfire were fairly low. Oh yeah, it was artillery. And, and it, well, and also fifty-twos. Tremend, tremendous amount. Well, on the the Viet Cong strategies against us, that it was almost all IED booby trap type stuff. That there were very that the percentage of casualties due to actual gunshots fired in ammo were very low, or fired in anger rather, mm. and uh, that that was a big reason. One of the big reasons for Milai was that these guys kept getting tore up. And they didn't have anybody around when it happened, and yeah, it's, it's other a, reasons, failures of leadership, 
you know, in a really big way. But um, that that was a big complaint is they they were just getting slaughtered and there was nobody there to shoot back at. Well, that's a psyop. Booby traps are a psyop. Uh, it's like a sniper. You know, you, you have a sniper and he kills one guy in a company and everybody in the company is now yeah, it's a demoralizer. Every, bush, every, yeah. every shadow, every sound or whatever. Yeah, it, it's a psyop. And the same thing with booby traps. You know, you have a whole company and two guys in the company get either their legs blown off or they step in punchy stakes or, or whatever. Uh, and everybody knows that. And, and, you know, there's that frustration because you can't shoot back at the booby trap, you know, because it didn't hurt. But as far as, I mean, if you talked about the Idrang Valley or something like that, there was a whole lot of people died from freaking oh, um, sure. machine gun bullets and, and AK bullets and so forth. The, the most effective thing that we had um, – Besides B-52s and what have you. but And the B-52s weren't as effective as they could have been uh, because, you know, we were trying to blanket bomb. But artillery, and that was one thing that they, that the, that they, uh, they learned to fear, whether it was a VC or the NVA, was our artillery and how precise it was. It wasn't just, well, let's, let's point these cannons at this, you know, five square miles and hope that somebody gets hit. Mm-hmm. You know, we had FOs that could call artillery down onto square yards, you know, eight digit grid kind of stuff. And that was, you know, and we, we, you know, fire bases are something that go back to almost, well, to medieval times, the concept mm-hmm. of a fire base or a forward operating base and what have you. Um, and that's what we used to really good effect in Vietnam. And we moved that over to Afghanistan too. Naval gunfire, you know, howitzers, whether they were light howitzers or heavy howitzers or self-propelled or, or what have you. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for those guys. A lot of respect for those guys because they really, it's high science. Those, those, are, those are the smart guys. Yeah, at, my, least, at least the guy who's spinning the whiz wheel is a smart guy. I don't yeah, know about my, the guy who's pulling a cord, but. <laughs> my, uh, everybody likes to shit on the Air Force. And uh, at least back in Vietnam, my dad was Air Force in Vietnam and uh, was interested in the technical side of things and uh, thought that would be cool. So he volunteers and uh, he becomes a weatherman. And then what he didn't know about that, or maybe he did, he passed away a while back. I never got to ask him, but uh, he was a combat weatherman. And if you want to talk about a shitty job, what his job was was to That's be, like Jim Cantori. Kind of exactly like that, except that you're on the front line. The weather guy? Blowing Only taller. A, a big fucking weather balloon and tracking its path, giving the enemy exactly your location as you send it up to get windage for all this artillery that was so precise. And today we've got all kinds of instrumentation for that where I don't know if those guys are still doing that kind of thing. But imagine being in contact with NVA, having to send up a friggin' weather balloon uh, <laughs> and then take measurements so that you could get accurate <laughs> artillery on on target. <laughs> That's messed up. Definitely. <laughs> so the, uh, the Vietnam War was 1954 through 1975. And the Vietnamese didn't release their list of casualties until, I mean, it was like, 1995 they did an official release of the estimated of the uh, the casualties 
Mm -hmm. And it says as many as 2 million civilians on both sides and some 1.1 million uh, NVC and Viet Cong fighters were killed. And it says the U.S. military estimated that between 200 to 250,000 South Vietnamese soldiers died in the war. So there's a whole lot more than than I guess what they originally had estimated until these numbers came out. I didn't realize there was that many. That's a lot. Well, and communists are, are always really good at, at hiding facts too, and and you know disinformation. Yeah. So, but back to his question, as far as you know, the tactics. Mm-hmm. Who had the? Who had the? I think that to benefit the MVC here at home, you know, the protesters were probably their their biggest asset. In, oh in yeah, that, in that Walter war. Cronkite. Yeah, no doubt. Again, the media. Yeah, the media was was our big. They were they were. That, that's when the media learned how to betray America. That was that was when they that was when they they got their real good practice in. Yeah, betraying betraying the America, betraying the United States. Our military men during Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, because you know we you know and, and I don't want it's we don't have enough time to get into it. But if you guys want to like factually. Uh, understand the Vietnam War. We won the Tet Offensive. The the Allies, the Americans, we won the Tet Offensive. The the VC as a fighting unit were decimated after the Tet Offensive. They they ceased to be an effective fighting unit uh, after. You no, know, that's Tet the offensive. one thing. My dad is a Vietnam vet. He was there sixty eight sixty nine and flew. Uh, medevacs and gunships and that's he he doesn't talk very much about it i would love for him to to write some stories down and record some of that history but that is the one thing that if you get him talking he will pound on is that we were dominant in the tet offensive and there's a huge misconception about that yeah because cronkite and the media portrayed it as this massive bloody nose at this as this loss mm-hmm. and and it didn't matter that that we we won and and the, re- the reason it is is because in order to pull that off you know up to that point the vc and the vc operators especially in and around the cities were pretty good at guerrilla warfare and hiding who they were uh and but in order to pull off the offensive they had to basically come out of their holes and do it and when they did that, we were able to identify 99% of them. And after the Tet Offensive was over, after we won that, uh, the VC as a, as a fighting, uh, basically as an effective fighting force, were finished. But the, the American media betrayed us and convinced the people that it was a, a huge loss and it was an embarrassment and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Warming up for what they've it, been doing it, the past eight years. Yeah, but it, but it wasn't. It actually wasn't. Let's go to our next question. So this comes from, this is a good one from Dickie the Third again. He asked two questions. Uh, and this will go to, I guess, uh, you and Brian and um, Jared, if you've got any experience with this. Describe the most beat up, rusted parts missing AK you have run. Go ahead. I, I don't run garbage that I picked <laughs> up off go. the ground. I, I wasn't in Vietnam pulling stuff out of rivers and trying to use it. 
So, uh, what about when you're in the the, desert? Then, well, the most, the most beat up one I ever picked up was in the desert, but I didn't try and use it on it. You didn't use it. We just, yeah, we just threw it on a pile and the engineers blew them up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've actually, now I've had, I've had AKs that sat in a safe for a long time. Um, and I had to take my boot heel and, yeah. and jack on the freaking the bolt to to pop it open. But after I did that, it was good to go. When you were when you were overseas, did you some of those that you saw? Did you did you look at them and go like, how in the hell are they still using this? No, because uh, well, because the, the Iraqis had pretty good stuff. Yeah, you know, because the, all the guys we were fighting, they were regular army. You know, it wasn't like we were fighting dudes running around stuff. in black pajamas. Yeah, uh, so. You know, I mean, every once in a while you'd get something that would that was like battlefield destroyed, like it was destroyed in action. You know, like they had no stock because the person that was holding it got blowed up, and the stock went with him. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. But as far as like wire wrapped or you know frying pan with, made, <laughs> yeah, held together with duct tape or anything like that. No, I didn't. Fashioned from didn't house have, utensils. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This next question comes from SPS Murdoch. It says, Professor Paul and guest, can you elaborate on Project Eldest Son? What is that? No. Okay. No. Was that wasn't that a uh, uh, Clarence or Creedence Clearwater revival song? Project Eldest Son. I don't know. I'm going to have to. Google. I have I no idea what he's talking about. I guess we need to know what that is before we get the joke, huh? Fortunate son. Uh, was a program on covert operations conducted by the United States Studies and Observations Group uh, using the Vietnam War. The project focused on placement of exploding cartridges. Okay, this is the goes back okay, to the thing yeah, we were talking it. about before. Yeah. Uh, into supplies used by communist combat forces in Southeast Asia. United States technicians assembled 11,565 760 by 39 cartridges for AK-47 rifles. Uh, 556 heavy machine gun cartridges, uh, shells to detonate in the weapon when firing uh, was attempted. So there you go. That answers the other question. And and this is verifying something that I thought it wasn't just a triple uh, charge or something. They would actually like replace it with something approximating Semtex or something like that, like Mm -hmm. a really nasty round. Or charge. Yeah. Um, they would even do mortars. Like, they would even booby trap the mortars. So. So yeah, that was a real thing, and there it's, it was called Project Eldest Son. So thank you, FPS Murdoch. There you, there you go. All right, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, our yeah, leadheads are smart. That, they know stuff. Yeah, that that technique probably goes back to when they first started using cartridges. I would say. See, because we're overachievers here in America. We are. We we just Still overachievers we just are. If you really wanted to, to to mess with them, you just took the powder out and just let the primer in, and they would go bang, 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 pop, and they'd drive that seven six two bullet five inches into the barrel, and they'd be effectively hosed. <laughs> yep. uh, J. Edgar Paradox uh, says, "Awesome! Can't wait for season three. Well, it's here. The wait uh, is over. We're here. We're doing it." Uh, and then he asked about who supplied them, uh, and then also he says, talk about markings. Well, if you go back to season two, uh, episode 12, we did a whole episode on markings. So you can go back to that. I know you, I know you listened to that already, though. 
PPRN, where can I get some Bakelite mags and bolt hold open followers? No. It's going to turn into a Jerry Springer show up in this bitch. <laughs> Here we go, Brian. <laughs> That's all you, Brian. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Brian's like, you tell me. No, no. I mean, Bakelite, as I understand, is embargoed. Um, you can't legally, you can legally possess it in the U.S. You just can't legally import it. And so sometimes you'll find some that have been sterilized uh, or sanitized, rather, where they'll be spray painted to look like a black plastic mag. Um, a few of those are floating around. Um, there are secret groups on Facebook um, where if you ask around, you'll, you can score an invite. Um and uh, the price is gone. The price has more than tripled in the last three years or so when I was buying them. I was trying to get them to buy on the website. And uh, right about that time, customs started getting pretty tricky. And um, seizures started going up. And that directly impacts on the price. So uh, the way that they come into the country now, as I understand it, is a couple at a time in like a, you know, the equivalent of a USPS priority box. Mm -hmm. um, there were some scams where, or not scams, but uh, people were driving across the Russian border like um, like the Finnish border or something like that, and then driving <laughs> them back, that kind of thing. And so the, so the country would be a, a NATO country that they were coming from, but it's all, my understanding is the vast majority of it is onesie twosie and um, tricky to get, um, but they are well worth it. The first time I ever used a Bakelite, this guy handed me one and he said, try this. It's sexual chocolate. Sexual <laughs> chocolate. I uh, love it. And yeah, he was right. That's how Jared and I got to be friends. Yeah, it was a, a <laughs> hail. And his, his gun wasn't working for shit. And uh, that's that's one of the, the great. It's why I don't test with Bakelites is Bakelites will make a, a bad gun run good. And... Um, so I use the shittiest mags that I can tolerate for our testing so that I know when my gun goes out the door that it's going to function with anything respectable. I'm or not going to ask what those mags are. I, I'm not, <laughs> You're I'm not going to say, having, I know. Having just given that, that intro to them, I'm not going to say what brand it is. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're amazing. And, um, you know, if you buy one a year in four years, you're going to have a really nice little loadout that is your frontline gear. And uh, <laughs> can I jump in? Yeah. All right, Unit Springer Show. Stop <laughs> focusing on 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 the unicorns. Okay, quit worrying about unicorns and trying to hunt a unicorn. Stop hunting a unicorn. Go if you really, really, really want AK magazines. Go buy the Gen Three mag mag poles. Get a case of them for what you'd spend for four bake lights, and. <laughs> and Mark them and identify them, and if they stop working, throw them in the garbage. Yeah, and move on with your life. Those will be I'm the tend to work. Those will be I'm the bake lights of the future. Professor Paul with the folding chair. Yeah. Just, all right, whatever, man. <laughs> it's like you guys He's are, you guys are unicorns. So um, Mustang oh. Perry sent us to fist. Oh no, we haven't gotten to the real, the real. Oh, the boat stuff yet. The yeah, boat. yeah. So, okay. Okay. Go Professor ahead. Paul, you go first on bolt holding, bolt hold open mags on an AK. Followers. Okay, um, hit me. It was it's it's uh, Serbia that loves to do that, right? Uh, yeah, the Yugos. Yep, the, yep. It's, it's in the the Zastavas. 
Yeah. Historically, so it, it's a you-go thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a you-go thing because they got to be different. Here's the deal. You don't need it. Quit worrying about it. Don't spend mental energy thinking, I've got to find a bolt hold open mag. Because that way I know, because when the bolt holds open, bro, it goes bang, 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 click. It's empty. Put a new one in it. Okay. If it goes bang, bang twice and then click, you got a different problem. But if you've been running that thing and you'll figure it out and it'll go click, dump that thing and put a new one in it. I mean, you have to do the same stuff, basically, to, to put the new one in it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't want to have to work the bolt because I'll let it work it for me. Work your gun. It's not going to hurt it. Well, I think- it also makes pulling the pulling a spent mag, a spent bolt hold open mag out of the gun is harder than just pulling an empty mag out without Thank a bolt you. hold open. Thank you. And no, we, we completely agree. That was something that I nerded out on because I thought bolt hold open when I was just getting into guns. I was like, well, that's the real deficiency of the AK is no bolt hold open. No, it's not. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And so if you run the gun as it's intended to be run, you don't want a bolt hold open. That's something extra to fuck up your OODA loop and your day. And totally agree. Very good. So I think... Uh, PPRN is actually going to be attending the the training course that we're having with 212 Training Group, Aqua Defense, Sick. Royal Range. So, there you go. So you'll learn about that in that class, PPU. So we look forward to seeing you there. And Outstanding as, question, though, by the way. I'm not shitting on PPURN. No, really, no, no. No, no. Yep. No, but that's that's one of those internet things that people, they, they spend all this mental energy thinking about stuff like that when they could be spending mental energy on something else. Yeah. Eric's a good dude. I'm sure he didn't take it that way. Uh, so let's see. Matt Cousins. I'm looking at muzzle devices for AK pistols. Uh, favorites and why? Question mark. With ammo prices, uh, what they are other than the drills gone uh, over in the adaptive Kalash videos, non-firing drill recommendations? Question mark. What spare parts should we keep on hand with upcoming firearm supply uncertainty? Good question. Okay. You want to do the muzzle device first? Wow, that was like, that's like a... He's, all right, yeah, um, he's all over the place with that. Yeah, muzzle devices, I, I can tell you, there's a lot of companies out there that are making uh, flash cans. If the, the, the Probably the best one is the Barking Spider. The best non-suppressor device um, is the barking spider. Here's the problem. Spikes won't make it in 14 by one because of the notorious, you know, improper threads coming from, you know, from overseas. Cause they're like, just as soon as God made little green apples, we're going to sell you one and you're going to put it on your effed up freaking, you know, it was, it was threaded by a, a drunk Romanian and he didn't thread it. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so here's what I can tell you. There's a company called Infinite Product Solutions. I found these guys a few years ago. They're genies. They're geniuses. They're, they make thread adapters for everything. Hmm. You say, well, I've got this thread and I need to put this device on it. For instance, 14 by one left hand, but I want to put a 30 caliber device on it. Got you covered, bro. Nice. That picture that's up on Facebook, that's exactly what I had to do with that. Okay. I took a 30 caliber Barking Spider. I got the adapter, screwed it on there. It's good to go. 
Um, Name of that company cans. one more time. What was it called? Oh, Infinite, Infinite Product Solutions. Okay, cool. Yeah, they make all kinds of of adapt. Like if, if if you're one of those dudes, you're like, I've got this gun and I need a thread and I can't get it to fit. And like they they got all of it. Uh, smart guys. Sweet. So the other thing are the flash cans. You know, uh, CAC K A K makes flash cans. Uh, Midwest uh, makes flash cans. Uh, basically, anything to push the gas away from your face. On a rifle, it's not that big of a deal. But on an AK pistol, it definitely is a big deal. Yeah. You know, you use an AK pistol with just a regular slant break or, God help us, nothing. It's 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 like getting into the ring and letting Jared punch you in the face. And not the not the uh, this Jared, the other A little Jared. fedor. Yeah, a little fedor. So, uh, yeah, you, def- you want to get that gas away from your face. Uh, and that's the big thing with rifle pistols. I don't think a lot of people like grab a hold of, or is you want to get that that's having the gas blast in your face. It might seem macho, but it's yeah. going to get tedious after a while. And the people standing next to you are going to get annoyed with you too. Oh my gosh. I can't and, uh, I, uh, talk uh, about my Jerry Springer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Paul's going to get mad at me again, but we have a, a new flash hider out. That's a vortex. And, um, we don't have the threaded versions on our web store yet. They're coming. The only way to get one right now is to buy a 1775. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is heavily inspired by the Smith Industries Vortex, and it works very well on AK pistols. Um, that will be coming out in 5 8 24, half 28, and 14 1 left. And yeah, there's a lot of unburnt powder in, uh, in an AK pistol mm-hmm. and dispersing that. And uh, and getting like like Professor Paul's saying, getting it away from you, but also moving it to as low a pressure as possible, as quickly as possible, keeps that light and concussion from getting crazy. And I think we can all agree, except for Jared, because he's special, um, that brakes don't belong on AK pistols if you like yourself or your friends. Okay, let's go to his yeah, next one here. I'm a little special. With uh, ammo prices, what they are other than the drills going over in the adaptive clash videos, non-firing drill recommendations. Well, first I recommend that you come to Nashville and do the uh, 212 training course, the AK Concepts, um, and just go ahead and fire and use the ammo. But do you guys, I mean, just your normal, regular dry-fire drills that you would normally do with any um, – pistol rifle whatever you any mean. platform yeah well yeah any platform uh any any drill that just works basic manipulations is valuable mm-hmm. um you know one thing that i think a lot of people skip over or forego in dry fire or live fire um, practice is the follow-through aspect um in trigger sites what the rifle can tell you and give you as, as far as feedback goes and dry fire and, and live fire. Um, you know, speed is sexy and it should not be stressed as much as it is in, in the world we live in. Um, the value lies in every trigger press of evaluating the efficiency of the trigger press and the effects on your sight picture of that trigger press in dry fire and even in live fire, you know, um, it, there's a huge value in evaluating, um, what the rifle is telling you after that trigger press, be it dry fire or live fire. Um, 
if you just pause long enough to take in that information and process it, that's where the value comes. Okay. Um, that's your reflective process. Paul, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you're a new AK person, uh, you need to learn how to work the machine. And like we mentioned earlier, one of the biggest problems that people have in picking up an AK uh, is they can't get the mags in and they get super pissed off. They're like, this thing's a piece of shit. No, it's, it's not a piece of shit. You just need to learn how to make it work. That's like jumping in a standard and saying, this thing's a piece of shit. No, it's not a piece of shit. You just need to learn how to work it. So, or your uh, mags are mag- shitty too. I mean, mags play a yeah, big part yeah, in that mags too. Are shit, man. No, that's one of the, another one of the reasons why you don't want both hold open magazines is because if you're learning how to run an AK, you need to learn how to get the mag in there and reach up and grab that bolt and pull that son of a bitch to the rear. Uh, and another thing is, if it's unsafe, you can't pull the bolt to the rear. You know, so you need to learn. You know, there there is a learning curve. To, to making the machine work and you can spend some time and you should spend some time. Matter of fact, before you go out and blast 200 rounds of empty brass onto the ground, you should spend uh, an hour or two at least just running it dry, running, the, running that big safety lever, you know, dropping the mags, figuring out how to flip it over, grab the bolt with your left hand and, and rack it, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, way for all before. you guys that are sorry to cut you off, but you off, Paul. But for all you guys that uh, are working at home right now, the glory of working at home is that if you're not getting up from your computer for 15 minutes every hour, you're causing a health issue in a really big way. If you spend five minutes an hour doing mag changes, where which if you did at the office, there would be an HR problem. At home, nobody's looking, and um, if you do five minutes an hour. Holy shit, will you get good fast? Sorry, Paul, please continue. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Pe- people who run guns fast are people who run guns efficiently, who understand how the machine works. You know, your body will go as fast as, as it needs to go. People are like, well, I got to practice shooting fast because in the real world, that's what I'm going to do. It's like, no, you, you'll, you'll shoot as fast as you need to shoot. Just do it correctly. Uh, and if you can do it correctly, without a bunch of like weird kabuki dance shit, then uh, you, you're, you're on the road to mastery. And then his last part of that, um, um, parts, spare parts, do you recommend that they keep on hand for their, for their AK? May I quote Clint Smith on this one, gentlemen? Sure. You can quote whoever you want. Yeah. It's uh, good advice. It's good advice. Clint, Clint likes to say that uh, once you get one gun that's uh, built up and running correctly, go out and buy another gun exactly the same as the first one. Mm-hmm. And um, with an AK uh, being a manufacturer of them now, uh, there are not a lot of spare parts that you need on an AK. If, if that gun goes down, that gun is down hard. And unlike, you know, AR guys, I, and this is, I've never really spent a lot of time working with the AR, but a lot of guys who know what they're doing carry an extra bolt with them. That's mm-hmm. not a thing on the AK. And Yeah, uh, definitely not. So carrying some lube with you, keeping your gun wet, a really good idea. But spare parts on the AK are not really a thing, in my humble opinion. Paul, what's your experience there? No, I actually answered that question two days ago. I was on a Facebook, and people were like, what about spare parts? And I said, I have, if this gun breaks... 
and it's a crisis, I'm going to throw it on the ground and I'm going to grab this gun yeah. and then we're going to make this one work. And then later on, I'll worry about that. Uh, yeah, the two gun thing, uh, identical guns. You know, th- there's been a number of dudes. Walt Roush used to do that. You know, people would say, hey, you need to have two Glock 17s. What? Now I've got one. I don't want another Glock 17. I want a, a this and a that. I want a HK. I want a this. Like, no, actually, get two and run them perfectly. Uh, yeah, the bolt thing, if you have experience, you know, if you actually have experience changing parts, um, great. And everyone's like, I watch YouTube video. Okay. Um, that, that works to a certain extent. But, yeah, the, the main thing I would say, and of course, now we're, we're dealing with a different world. Uh, the spare parts thing, if, if you can find bolts and bolt carriers, and, and so good luck, great, good on you. Um, that's the first thing that goes during crisis are barrels and bolt carriers. Here's the deal, man. I've been shooting guns for a long, long time. I've shot a lot of rounds. And the instances of the gun itself breaking versus mags go bad, um, you know, stuff like that. Ammo. Mags go bad 99 times out of 100. If you have a problem with your semi-automatic gun, it's a mag. Put a new mag in, move on with your life. Or it's not maintained. You know, uh, I broke a spring on a, on a Glock pistol. And, but the number of guns that I've broken, broken, uh, it's pretty slim. And, and yeah, the more you shoot the, and the more, the more that's going to happen. But, uh, the vast majority of people will never shoot their guns enough to break them unless it's a, just a POS. I mean, I've seen in the military broken guns, but you know, broken guns in the military are hundred thousand round guns. Yeah. Well, and and with Paul saying that he doesn't break many guns, uh, it's my suspicion, Paul, that you buy high quality guns, and there's well, a yeah. difference in breakage, as I understand it, uh, for in the AR market, between a a nice gun and a piece of shit gun. Well, let's just uh, work that into our next question. You're Jonathan Gallup, also known as Giddy Up. What's Paul's preferred setup, AK brand, light furniture, et cetera? Oh shit! The the ODS seventeen seventy five is ding, ding, ding. the premier Cadillac of the AK world. Yes. <laughs> Why would you want anything else? Don't worry if it's something else. Like like there's a good argument for a, for a Wasser for some folks. So yeah. No, I mean here's the thing: is is no if if you've got a gun that runs uh, right now. Is, is a weird time. You know, I, I get this. I still get this, and I'm amazed. I, I just, like, you, you remember Homie the Clown? Oh, yeah. Homie, I'm Homie the Clown. All right. I've got the, <laughs> I've got the rubber bat. And when people say, hey, man, I'm thinking about buying a rifle. What do you think I should get? The WAP. I think you need to get your ass in a fucking time machine and go back to 2018 and actually get one. You know, this, this. You know, I'm getting a little scared. Maybe I should buy a rifle. You know, what should I get? Whatever the fuck is on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this I had is this behind the curve today. You had that today, Jared? I had that text conversation today. Somebody texted me about buying a rifle. And, um, you know, in fact, 
I think he's going to order a 1775 if he can get in there. But, you know, he's talking about trying to get ammo. And I said, dude, you're you're late to the party. But that's okay. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not welcome to the party. But, yeah, to your point. Buy, buy the best that you can afford. Yeah. But now price, price doesn't I – mean, holy I, – I was on – yesterday on one of these gun i won't say i won't call them out but one of these online gun retailers they had an arsenal rpk variant you know the arsenal version mm -hmm. with one 30 round magazine but it had it had a side folding club foot stock which is you know whew. so if you're going to parachute out of a you know a c-130 <laughs> uh, brian guess how much they wanted retail for this fucking thing Oh, uh, $16.99. $5,700. <laughs> like four grand. Yeah. <laughs> what? Holy For a semi-auto heavy-barreled AK. I was like, get the... That should come with a Connex box of ammo. <laughs> that should come correct. with the C-130. Are, <laughs> are you kidding to me? To jump out of. Oh, well, my gosh. I'm, and you know, bless my customers, because not a one has has complained about rising prices. But what people need to understand, because I've talked with other manufacturers about this, and they're in the same boat. Before the the whatever you want to call what we're in, I was paying fifty dollars for a bolt, and now I'm paying a hundred dollars for a bolt if I can get one. Mm -hmm. And so, lots of parts to manufacturers, we're paying retail folks. And so when you see a bolt on a website for an AK, that's the price that I'm paying to make these guns. And so uh, not many of these manufacturers, even with the rising prices, are cashing in. Now, there's some people making – I'm not saying that there's not some folks like your your $5,000 RPK there. Obviously, somebody's cashing in on profit there. But for a lot of the, the AK builders out there, they're – these rising prices are just a function of what we can get stuff for. Oh, yeah. And everybody, I had a, a manufacturer talk to, explain it to me. He's like, look, we're all in the same boat. We're all trying to get barrel steel. We're all screaming at DuPont for fucking polymer. And we're all in line. He said, it doesn't matter whether it's Ruger or Smith or Sig or fill in the blank here. They all buy, I mean, most of them, they all buy their, their bulk stuff. From the same manufacturers, mm -hmm. and yep. it's not like Keltec has a, a a polymer manufacturing facility. You know, they're they're buying it from Dupont, and this and everybody's buying barrel steel from this. You know, the same half a dozen or handful of manufacturers, right. uh, and so when you got people, you know, I had a guy tell me he said, I went through this year in 2020, well last year in 2020. What normally would have been one year's worth of barrel steel in six weeks. Yep. And, yep. and he said DuPont was telling him it's going to be at least six months before we can get you your fucking plastic. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I started making stocks is because Magpul, you could not get a Magpul stock on, on the AK market um, or on the open market. And mm -hmm. uh, my raw steel for like making rear trunnions, you know, our pick rear trunnion. My prices are up 50% in the last six weeks on raw steel. Well, it's a sign of the times, you know. Yep. yep. It's a sign yep. of the times. It's, so, it's I mean, it's not stuff. like Paul said, you should have bought one back in 1998 
Um, but we are where we are now. And if you want one, you bought one in January of 2019. <laughs> yeah. Right. A year ago. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, I think that answered his question, um, pretty much. So let's, let's move on. Last question. Uh, and then we're going to pick winners for our, our, our contest. And what I want to do is I want each one of you to go through our questions and pick your favorite, uh, question. And that's who we're going to award the um, and I may not have read them all, so you guys can kind of scan through there. Matthew oh, Matthew Lottie, uh, and I don't know if any of you guys are know the answer to this or not. We probably need um, James for this one. Do you know how to tell what year a Hungarian AMD 65 was made and what's your favorite AKM, AKM model? <laughs> Woo! Woo! Hashtag mushroom cloud. I don't. No, that was that's a James question. I would think. Yeah, there's the year is stamped on a lot of guns. The Hungarians, I'm not super familiar with. So, uh, yeah, but the Google is probably your friend as well. But uh, yeah, reach out to. Uh, that's a great question. If you reach out on the gram to uh, Factory Forty Seven with the K and yeah. talk to James, which is um, where you can get the Talking Lead AK Corner hoodies, which you guys see I'm wearing today. Beautiful AK Corner hoodies, T-shirts, and our tumblers. Uh, you can go to Factory 47 and get those there. Uh, there was actually somebody, uh, John L-U-E-C-K-E. Would you call that Luck? Lucky? John Lucky. Lucecki? I'm going to call him Luchek. Lucky. He's Lucky now. Right. says, okay, That's I would good. like to have an AK to go along with my talking lead hoodie. So he's got one. Uh, can't spend too much variant question uh any to stay away from which one you need to go, go get an ods 1775 um just do it invest in it it's well worth it you can't go wrong and then for that guy who was asking about getting a uh draco screw draco get out ods 1775 he's got pistols uh, he's doing the pistol models now get in get in line get on the list um and you won't you, be sorry. You won't get divorced. Your wife will love you for getting one of those instead of a Draco. <laughs> <laughs> Promise She'll definitely you. Know the I have. I actually have a lot of customers whose wives are shooters. I have one customer who's bought three guns, and his wife has taken all of them. And she's a hell of a wife. So you know <laughs> uh, that that kind of woman they don't come across every day. But yeah, lots of the ladies um, end up co-opting. Uh, Clint, Clint E, uh, one of, uh, Jared's customers had the same problem and, uh, yeah, because yeah. our guns are so well balanced. There's so, so little weight on the front end, mm -hmm. the ladies like them. And so, yeah, if, if you want to promote marital concord, uh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and that it's was L L O D S. All right, guys, let's do let's do a giveaway. We're going to do three giveaways. So we've got the Target System from Guardian Target Systems slash Tad's Manufacturers. Uh, we've got the Seal One package, and we've got the um, dump trays from Mission First Tactical. So, Jared, I want you to pick the winner for the Mission First Tactical um, dump trays. Dump, dump tray. We're going to weigh one this episode. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, John Adams there, who posted the question: Who supplied the most weapons to Vietnam? Um, that uh, is that on that Instagram? Sparked, 
that's on Instagram. That sparked a little conversation with my with my pop when I read that. So okay. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with John Adams. John Adams the third. Uh, John Adams the third. Long Tom Leadhead. Shoot me an email, talkingled at gmail.com. Uh, with this episode number, season three, episode one, uh, and the dump tray, and we'll get that to you. Brian, you I know, want you I to never pick. Knew about the, I never knew about the exploding ammo being called a Project Eldest Son, and uh, so I'm going to go that way because I learned something off that one. Okay, so that's going to be for the SEAL 1 package that they're giving away, and it is going to include... Uh, their package, you're going to get a 4-ounce SP4 paste. You're going to get four packages of SEAL-1 pre-saturated SS-10. It's called SEAL Skins. And a 1,000-count pack uh, of our dry cleaning patches and a T-shirt. So all that from SEAL-1. And who's going to win that prize package? Well, right. I didn't know about Project Eldest Sun being the name of that deal with the exploding ammo so that taught me something yeah. and uh so whoever that was um was that murdoch that was murdoch FPS all right murdoch. so fps well, uh, murdoch there you go you get those shoot me an email show title season three episode one ak corner and then your prize seal one prize and your shirt size apparently we're going to need your shirt size because you're going to get a t-shirt too so that's pretty cool so then our next one, our next prize is the Guardian Target and Stand. It's uh, compatible for any terrain. It will easily set up in under a minute with a lightweight and compact design. The stand can be easily folded up and slid into a backpack. With our lightweight and compact target system, there's no need to look any further. The stand is designed to accept all of our targets with the quick turn of one bolt. And you guys check them out at guardiantarget.com. And I think you're going to get one of their triangle uh, AR-500 steel targets that go with that. Uh, so, Paul, I want you to pick the winner for our Guardian Target and Stan. All right. I'm going to go with the the one who said about muzzle brakes. And he also had, like, two also other questions. Oh. Uh, I'm looking for muzzle devices. Mark, Matt Cousins from Facebook. Matt Cousins on Facebook. Okay. Very on good. Facebook, yeah. Matt Cousins. Shoot me email, talkingletgmail.com, and put Season 3, Episode 1, AK Corner, and your prize, the Guardian Target, and uh, get your info for that and send it to you. So very good. So this has been a great kickoff for our Season 3 of the AK Corner. Uh, was there anything else that we needed to cover? You guys think we needed to cover on this? Or pretty, pretty much all over the place on this one. We covered more ground than Marco Polo. We did. We talked ARs. <laughs> we talked M16s. We talked Mosin Nagants, SKSs, um, AK-47s, and we didn't talk any RPKs. But that'll that'll leave us for something to talk about another That's episode. That's an AK with a big fat barrel and a carrying handle and a clubfoot stock that cost six thousand dollars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, hey, folding club folding foot. folding. That's right. So you can jump out of an uh, so you can airplane shoot from the hip. Yeah, you can parachute yeah. off a mountain with it <laughs> if you want to. But Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to be on. We greatly appreciate well, thank it. Thank you for having me. 
It's been fun. I would love to have you back. We're doing 12 of these. We're doing one a month. So uh, love to have you back on another one. Maybe you don't want to come back on another one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, for for more information about Paul Markle and what he does, go to studentofthegun.com. And and your podcast. You've got a podcast. You do videos. you got a YouTube channel. You're on full 30. Fuck YouTube. You're on full 30. We have our own channel on Apple TV and ah. Roku. Well, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know you're on Apple TV too. How did you not know that? We've had our. I don't have. I have a Samsung Android. Fuck Apple. What do you watch? Okay, well, so if you guys have a Roku stick or a smart TV or an Apple TV, we have our own television channel. It's called Student of the Gun. There you go. That's right. Are you on Prime also? Can I search Prime and find you? Um, I don't think they like us anymore. Oh, bastards. Okay. I don't think they like us anymore. The now, you, now, Kindle, you can get the, the books on Kindle Books or Amazon Books. Right. And just uh, the, Paul Markle, M-A-R-K-E-L, and his books will come mm-hmm. up there. And then you can go to your website also, Student of the Gun, and uh, they can buy yeah. there. And you have med kits that you guys give away. We we just had a big $10,000 giveaway, five prize packages, and you guys included some of your um, – your uh, med packs on that pocket lifesavers yeah your pocket lifesavers and there was another one too but um they can all kinds of stuff you guys got go to their website you check it out check out their store and uh, show them some love let them know that uh the leadhead brigade is behind them also uh make sure you go and support all our sponsors our supporting sponsors of this season of the talking lead ak corner Occam Defense Solutions. Brian Keeney just dropped a bunch of new stuff on us. Uh, they got muzzle brakes coming. There's a secret thing that we're going to announce next episode, maybe. Um, talk about everything you I'll guys got going wait. on. Yeah, you got to wait. I'll have to wait to see it on Facebook. I'll, I'll probably have to wait, too, because <laughs> I didn't know about any of this stuff either. <laughs> or just come to some AK classes around the country, you know? Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah, all as so lucky as a- you, Jared. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> If you're one inch away from a little person and you'd like to be a product tester, let us know. Um, Hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Advanced way to get it. Now, uh, gosh, yeah, we're making as much much cool gear as we can, uh, as quick as we can. Um, you know, the, yeah, that new product, we'll be ready to talk about it next time. Maybe we'll drop it on the show. And, um, yeah, but it, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out where we're going and what we're making. Um, realistically, oh, if I want one of your rifles, what's my, what's my procedure for doing that now? I know there's a, you know, there's a, a list, there's a waiting list. Yeah. We're changing it up because, um, prices are rising so dramatically that doing pre-orders doesn't work because we end up losing money, which is a bad way to stay in business and a great way to be poor. So what we're doing right now, just subscribe to our Instagram channel and, um, we will drop an announcement saying, hey, we got eight guns available this week. You know, this past week it was uh, four pistols, four rifles. We're doing one color a week. So my Cerakoter and right-hand man, Cody, doesn't who he does a whole bunch of stuff other than Cerakote, but we try not to make him go insane. So we're doing one color a week and kind of rotating through. Right now we're booking out. Um, so we're taping on, I think, the – what's today? Today's, Today's the 12th. The 12th. Dropping the fifteenth. Looking for ship in the first week of February, and so by the time this comes out, you know, look for another announcement. You know, within you know, it's kind of once a week, 
we're going to be booking another order. So call it about four weeks lead time right now. Okay. That's fair enough. Taz Fabrication. Uh, make sure you go check them out, tazfabrication.com. Since its formation in 2014, Taz Fabrication has grown from a small family metal fabrication company to a one-third veteran-owned LLC with three partners. Our company focus is to provide sheet metal parts fabrication and welding services to such industries as transportation, defense, environmental, and federal state government. We also design and build custom metal artwork, which that may be coming up in some episodes uh, coming up. Um, uh, for local and corporate entities, our staff is prepared and equipped to handle fast turnaround prototypes as well as high and low production. And they are the makers of the Guardian Target System and the uh, the Guardian X Pod. That's what their stand is called. It's a four-legged adjustable stand, so you can put your AR five hundred targets on uh, different uh, terrains that may not all be level, so you can level your uh, your targets out. It's very very cool product. So GuardianTarget.com and then TaskFabrication.com. Uh, and then, of course, Seal One. Uh, the, their product is a it's an all-in-one product, so it cleans, lubricates, anti-corrosion, anti-seizure. Uh, it's green engineered, so it's safe for you, safe for the environment. Uh, and he was telling me a story. I think we talked about it on the episode that they were on. He had a, a customer with an, an AK that was shooting the corrosive ammo, and um, of course it was uh, eating his barrel and and whatnot up. And then he used the Seal One product, uh, and he said that that uh, really helped a whole lot with him shooting that corrosive ammo. So uh, something you guys might want to try if you got a shit ton of corrosive ammo and you want to shoot it, uh, try this. Or you don't want to pee down your. Chamber. Or you don't want to pee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or you just you have trouble peeing in public, uh, you could try the seal one. That, that would be one good application for a bolt hold open. The potential that, that is true. There, there you speed. go. There's that is yeah. that is. <laughs> and then, uh, like I mentioned earlier, factory forty seven. That's f a k t o r y forty seven dot com. You can get the official talking lead AK corner shirts, hoodies. Uh, we've even got shirts for the ladies. So for you, uh, you lady AKers out there, you can get some nice, you know, form-fitting uh, AK corner shirts. They're they're cool because they're two-sided. So on the front, you got our logo, and then on the back, you've got all the different logos for the the different country manufacturers of the uh, the AK. So even on the hoodie, it's two-sided. So you don't really get that a lot. So pretty cool stuff. Go check them out at factory47.com also IWI uh, US another sponsor of the uh, Talking Lead AK Corner they are returning sponsors and I'm sure that we'll get Jeremy on again we talked maybe about talking about the Uzi in some upcoming episodes so that'll be a that'll be a cool episode to talk about there too and then 212 training group Jared tell them about our class they don't want to miss yeah. this we, we got an awesome opportunity coming up in uh, at the end of February, February 2021 20, at Royal Range in Nashville, Tennessee. Super excited. Um, it, just another opportunity to get out and, and run your platform. And um, honestly, if you don't have an AK-47, we've got some demo guns that are going to be available also. 
Um, so just contact us at uh, 212traininggroup.com or 212firearmstraining.com. We'll also get you there. Uh, just a phenomenal opportunity to get out and, and learn something about yourself and about your platform. And it's going to be a great time. So we're really looking forward to it. And, and Jared, we really love our lady leadheads out there, and we're going to hook them up. Tell them about what we're doing for our lady leadheads if they want to come take take this course. Absolutely, doing uh, doing a special discount for you, ladies. Uh, we've got a couple already signed up. Um, we're going to do a special rate of four fifty for you, ladies. Um, so just reach out to us and let us know if you want to jump in. We've got about eight slots left. Um, so there's still time. And, still uh, time, can, still space. Still, so. still, still time and still some space. So just uh, And we're going to be know. doing giveaways, too. In between breaks and whatnot, we're going to have little, uh, little shoot-offs, little competitions, friendly competitions. We're going to have some giveaways there. Uh, Mission First Tactical is going to have uh, some, some custom AK corner, like dump trays, tactical wallets. Uh, there's no telling what else that they may have. So you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck. So that does it for this episode, season three, episode one of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you've got suggestions uh, or topics that you want us to talk about, talkinglead at gmail.com. Put in the, uh, the subject AK Corner, and uh, we'll see what we can do about getting that guest uh, or uh, talking about that subject that you want to talk about. Paul, thank you so much, get... buddy. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'll see you later. See ya. <laughs> uh, Brian, Jared, as always, thank you guys for taking the time to be on and making this show possible. Appreciate all the support and knowledge that you bring. Thanks thank for you. having us. It was a lot of fun. All right, Leadheads, until next time, get out there and practice. Practice.